are the rumours true that this is out of the flooring porter betting syndicate that we were they're trying to, to hide the money here Will that's what yeah. they're trying to do now I can either <laughs> confirm or deny that <laughs> <laughs> subscribe to the Hurling Pod feed on the OTB Sports app now OTB AM with Gillette get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar Right, bang on half past seven this Tuesday morning. You're very welcome along to OTBAM. It's Journal with you all the way through until 10. Get involved. You can abuse us on our YouTube stream, like many people do. You can get it by text 0879-180-180. Or you can cancel poor Owen down off the ledge today because what he thought was going to happen has happened. It's fair to say that you were you were never fully in on this season for Mikel Arteta and Arsenal and qualification for the Champions League, which the rest of the world had basically penciled in. You were like, no, no, I refuse to believe it. Until I can put my hand in the fleshy wound of the fourth position on the table and take from it the hip bone of qualification for the Champions League, I will remain a doubting Thomas. That was you. Mm. I was getting there. You needed the, the to flesh- smear yourself in blood for anybody yeah. who's listening on the radio. The, the hip, the hip was in the hand, and I was about to start smearing, and then and then Patrick Vieira rolls into town. Patrick Vieira rolls into t- well, they roll into Patrick Vieira's town. Uh, Patrick Vieira did roll into town and should have got three points in the reverse fixture earlier in the season and Arsenal got very lucky to get a point from that I know we're supposed to be picking over the bones and the carcass of, of your dreams here but Patrick Vieira what a job Patrick Vieira though hadn't won a home game at Crystal Palace since 2021 uh, so Arsenal rolling into town is exactly maybe what he needed but no they've been excellent they're just behind Wolves now in the table and I thought they were shoe-ins to, get to, to be relegated I thought that Patrick Vieira was going to be one of those bad managers who had failed I mean, maybe he didn't fail in France. Maybe the circumstances and the weird ownership scenario uh, didn't help him. But like, it didn't look like his CV was going to be able to cruise in and go. I, I'm going to. We're going to play better football than we've ever played before. Under the previous guy, who everybody was like, oh, he's going to keep us up. And then uh, I'm going to be enjoyable to watch. Like he's legitimately now, in our accelerated culture, a candidate for any of the big jobs that come up. Especially given the the transformation within a, a certain coterie of players as well, that the teams have just gone on to another level this season. The aggressiveness with which they chased that game last night it was as if the the foot was on the boot was on the other foot completely with regards to who was the the big team in this clash. Because this wasn't a sit back job and counter. This was a sort of we're going to press you, we're going to take the ball off you, and we're going to dominate possession. We're going to get our two goal lead, and then we're going to sit back. We're going to get three points out of this fixture, not go for one. And that's why they are where they are. And like I think when he got into that position where they should have beaten Arsenal in the, the, the first fixture I think at that point there was questions about how long until Vieira becomes linked with uh, with Arsenal things have gone a bit better for Arsenal since then until last night so those have gone away but I wonder is it a possibility in the not too distant future OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day so what is the story here I, I, I thought like this is us going to sit and watch Arsenal's slow car crash for the rest of the season well, I think it's a very quick and immediate car crash. It bang kind of out of nowhere to a certain extent. Like, a season shouldn't unravel after one game, but it kind of feels that within 45 minutes, Arsenal's hopes of top four have unravelled. Like, there was every chance that they'd turn it around over the next little while, but the, it does look particularly grim last night. First of all, the news that, that Kieran Tierney is injured uh, comes through and this is just deja vu Kieran Tierney's injury pro- problems have been well publicised over the last little while not just at uh, Arsenal but also at Celtic it's not the first time he's got knee injuries he missed 14 games last season with knee injuries this is a fresh knee injury and it doesn't look good Arteta is not confident about this you can expect that he's going to be out for the season 
Arsenal's best left-back right now that is fit is Granit Xhaka because Nuno Tavares is not good enough. He's played two games for Arsenal in this calendar year. He has not made it into the second half in either of those games. That is the, the level that we're talking about in, in Tierney's replacement and that is indicative of the squad at whole. They've battled on just a domestic front this season because they've had 14, 15 good players. They do not have a squad to handle injuries and now injuries are coming. Thomas Partey's getting injured, uh, got injured as well last night. He was a 2 out of 10 before he got injured. He, he has this weird ability to just completely lose all his ability uh, every once in a while. He, he just put, he puts in the occasional 2 out of 10. You're telling me it's terminal. It's, I, it's terminal. That- there were signs last night that that, that it looked... Like one of those classic Arsenal collapses that, and and to be fair, one of those classic Arsenal collapses is usually when they're going for a title, and one game hits them and it's like they get torpedoed by Birmingham or something. Right, Uh, it kind of felt like a a moment like that. And you look at Tottenham Hotspur and the momentum that they they have right now. I know you don't believe in momentum, but the form that they have, the The confidence, the confidence that they have is uh, confidence. I'm not sure about confidence yet. Like I think like Brighton this weekend. Arsenal have shown a better ability this season to respond from setbacks and get a win like that but the reason for the setbacks last night are not going to be different this weekend I suspect because of those couple of injuries and the replacements that they just simply do not have it's 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 not looking good in in the aftermath of that at all last night I mean the goal difference took a battering which is which is worse again Spurs won 5-1 Arsenal lose 3-0 Spurs leapfrogged them on goal difference uh, as well as holding down that and maybe we should have just seen this coming when Mikel Arteta is holding his gleaming manager of the month trophy we should have seen this coming. And the night, admittedly, got off to a very bad start last night when you're watching on Monday Night Football. And Jimmy Carragher is doing a piece of analysis on Emil Smith-Rowe, the wizard, the wunderkind, the man that Gary Neville compared to Kevin De Bruyne not so long ago, the man who's been compared to Robert Perez. And you had Wayne Rooney, great attacking uh, player who, who sometimes played in a, in a Smith-Rowe position later in his career, in studio to give the final verdict on Emil Smith-Rowe. Jamie Carragher goes to him, who does he remind you of? And I'm there thinking to myself, Rooney's going to say me, isn't he? He's going to say me. He reminds me of a young me. And he's like, yeah, this movement actually reminds me of Adam Lallana. I'm like, okay. Maybe maybe we're just not as good as uh, as we think we are as, uh, as, as an Arsenal. Uh, maybe, maybe Wayne Rooney is a football savant and understands that Adam Lallana was one of those great English players who England didn't really know what to do with because he was a, he was a, a, a generation too soon. He was he was Phil Foden ahead of his time. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that is probably the truth in it, and there's a bit of an underrating of Lallana. And, and uh, I mean, I don't re- think there is though. He was just referring to there isn't uh, though, is there? He was just referring to movement. He was just referring to movement. <laughs> and like, how how are Arsenal going to get seventy million quid off Manchester City in two summers' time for Emil Smith Rowe? If this is the PR campaign that's being pushed by Wayne Rooney, unless Wayne Rooney is playing the very very long game here, yeah, and he wants to buy Emil Smith Rowe at some point and go, she's only Adam Lallana. You can let him go for free. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'll give you 15 million for him. Ch- chalk it down. The next, the next Arsenal to Manchester United transfer. So, so uh, most impressive performance of the night was Patrick Vieira and his team. Yeah. Second most impressive performance of the night was Wayne Rooney. Yeah, I think so. Was it? Yeah. Or was it actually Wayne Rooney? Did Wayne Rooney overshadow Crystal Palace last night? Well, was he that I, I good? So. Uh, no, no. Oh, God, uh, it's, a big, it's a big statement. I, I, I really enjoyed listening to him. Yeah, like I, I think that it's. I always find it very interesting somebody who's who's currently working in the game uh, talking and giving their insights into to various topics as opposed to an ex-player who was an absolute legend of a club. I actually find the, the managerial Wayne Rooney a really interesting uh, person to give insight as opposed to, to, to the ex-player. It does, does, of course, the fact that he's a Manchester United legend, it does add credence to what he's saying. But I do find it interesting that his... Uh, like we, we may as well play a clip now about him talking about Ronaldo but, but because of what he's saying about Ronaldo I think it says a lot about his philosophy in football and what he's done with Derby County this season 
You'd have to say no at the minute. I think he scored goals. He scored important goals in the Champions League early on in the season. He scored, obviously, the hat-trick against Tottenham. But I think if you're looking to the future of the club, you, you have to go with younger, hungry players to, to do the best to lift Manchester United over these next two or three years. And obviously, Cristiano is getting on a bit. Um, he, he certainly, obviously, isn't the player he was when he was in his 20s. So, um, and that happens. That's... That's football, but he's, he's a goal threat. But I think the rest of the game, um, I think they need, they need more and they need young, hungry players. He was asked, did the Ronaldo transfer work? Mm. You'd have to say no. Mm. I mean, it doesn't feel like he's biting his tongue or playing the politics game or being smart with his answers. It's just a, this is my view, as yeah. opposed to, this is my view couched in language that I might at some point regret or I need to be cautious of unless I'm unless I'm just being stupid and, and uh, he is being you know he's he's playing chess here but it doesn't feel like it it feels like Rooney is fairly unvarnished as a as a coach and in his assessment of football and so therefore there is an authenticity about it yeah like by turning by turning Everton down he did the right thing a lot of a lot of other managers in his situation would have taken the Everton gig uh, because they felt like this is going to be an hour and everything for me. But actually, the right thing to do was sit there and wait. Everybody thinks he's doing a great job at Derby. They're going to go down. They're, but, like, if they if they hadn't had the 20 points deduction, they would be all right. You know, they wouldn't be... Um, I don't think that at this stage they'd be uh, in the playoff hunt. So it would have been an okay job, everybody would have said. So I think he's, he's managed that situation very well. But uh, he wants the Man United gig. That's, that's what is, is now the subtext of this. Is he talking himself into the Man United gig over the next three or four years? Possibly. Like, he does seem to be putting forward a philosophy that Manchester United haven't necessarily employed themselves over the last little while, that that younger, hungry players thing. Rooney's operating with an average age squad of 25 at the moment. Manchester United is probably a little bit higher than that, even though they have signed young players. Signing Cristiano Ronaldo brings that average age up quite a bit. And it's interesting that he thinks that going for younger, hungry players works for him at the bottom of the championship, but it should also work for Manchester United, who are hoping to contend for Premier League titles. He probably saw it himself being the young, hungry player that Manchester United signed. The difference, though, is that he was extraordinarily gifted and it's hard mm. to see if Manchester United have anybody of that and, and I wonder sometimes as well when it comes to these sort of players who were so gifted do they sometimes miss the very obvious thing in front of their eyes which is just pure talent because they had it it came so naturally to them Yeah, it'd be a, a super emotional return if he was to get the job after it, but it's that cycle it's like uh, it's set up for the cycle that Manchester United are in at the moment where they get a manager who is the antithesis of what uh, the last manager was so he had a recommendation. Uh, you know, he's asked as well. This, I think, is like having an answer for this. He, so he was asked who should get the, the next Man United manager. Here he is making his recommendation. I think Pochettino has done it in, in the Premier League. He knows the Premier League. Um, he's got a... At Tottenham, he brought a lot of young players through. At Southampton as well, he brought a lot of young players through. So if I'm choosing from one of them two, that's who I'd choose. I'd go with Pochettino and, and give him time. I think for, for managers now, they need time to come in and, and actually put their blueprint on the club, on the team. And... If you give him time, I think he'll do well. Yeah. It's like, I have a view on this. I'm going to tell you what I think. No, like, oh, they both do. They both do an excellent job. You know, you can't really go wrong with any of those managers at that, that level. Luis Enrique, and then just list off the rest. And that's what, like, the, that's what his, his uh, PR people would be telling him if he had a team of PR people. Don't, don't give an opinion. You might end up having to work with Ten Hag. You might have to come in under Ten Hag. Who knows? Like, loads, loads of stuff there. But he's like, no. Nah, Pochettino's the best man for that. Yeah. 
So he would be the opposite of Pochettino in a way. Like I was just going to say that like is is Ten Hag actually the guy who would bring through those young hungry players that he mentioned? Yeah, I mean, on. it seems to be. But but then also I think Pochettino needs hunger from his players. Like I don't think you can stand at the Pochettino regime unless you're able to handle yourself, unless you really want it. I think that maybe. It's why things haven't gone amazingly well at Paris Saint-Germain. I mean, it's not the main reason or anywhere close to it, but I think that it's just at Tottenham you heard all these stories about the, the training ground and the intensity and a lot of players not being able to handle what Pochettino wanted from them. But the end product was that there was enough players who did want it and enough players who could handle it and they got to a Champions League final. Is there enough of those players in the, the Manchester United dressing room right now? You'd have to say there isn't, but there is a transfer window for Pochettino to, to fix that somewhat. Um, but maybe not maybe, maybe there's just a couple of very obvious examples maybe once Pogba and Ronaldo go and their contracts are done maybe there is kind of an underlying hunger within that Manchester United squad to be able to handle a Pochettino pre-season for example well it must be difficult when the wage structure is so batshit crazy at Manchester United that players who are getting paid the most aren't doing the most work aren't carrying the team aren't the most successful players in the team that just can't make sense like uh, human nature is fairly fairly simple and certainly the best teams seem to reward their best players the most that that has been the hallmark of the great teams or everybody gets paid exactly the same and then they become super teams I don't know it just doesn't seem like they've they've cracked that side of it is really to Manchester United just one of those pipe dreams Man United fans should keep on the shelf and uh, and not actually try and follow because we've seen what has happened when they've made emotional decisions before Moyes was an emotional decision because Ferguson picked it it's like oh you're my natural successor you are like me in some way the, um, in a way you could you could argue that Mourinho was a bit of an emotional thing as well where it was like oh this guy used to he used to kill us he, he killed us and, and you know we should have gone to him before but now finally we're, we're consummating the relationship like years too late and then exactly the same happens with Solskjaer where it's like oh we need to restore the values of the club we need a culture reset is, yeah. there, is there anything different about Rooney that would actually suggest there might be and I, and I think time will tell but what I think is an interesting case study for Manchester United at the moment is Xavi at Barcelona like I don't think if you were doing a list of candidates around the world of the best managers six months ago you would have had Xavi near the top of the list. I don't watch the Qatar League. Maybe they were absolutely sensational. Maybe he was. Maybe he, he really was. But you'd have to say that that was an emotional decision. And that was in keeping with their philosophy of like, right, let's rip this whole thing up. We're going to have a very, very young squad and we're going to try and challenge in the next two or three years to get back to the top of the table. And Xavi fitted in perfectly with that. You'd have to say if Manchester United made a similar decision, Wayne Rooney could also fit into that. And the question is, are Manchester United willing to, to make that decision right now? There's nothing to, to me that suggests that they are. Like, I mean, it's it's next year, and at the start of next season, we we'll probably have them talking up their chances of challenging for a title once more, or else they win the first couple of games of the season. And it's like, right, it's it's this season, a short term view once again. One last point, right? Ten Hag is talking about bringing Robin van Persie into his backroom team. That was one of the links at the weekend. Now, it could be complete nonsense. It might just be the type of thing that you float. You're in an interview. You're like, who are you going to bring? Well, I know this guy. It's like, well, okay, I'll I'll do him. Like. Is there a world where Rudy could have teamed up with one of these candidates and been the Michael Carrick, except not actually Michael Carrick, but like Wayne Rooney, who you put out from time to time in front of the media and who does interviews and who like, who's not allowed to tackle your best young midfielders on the training pitch? <laughs> yeah, well, if you're if you're manager, you probably you should have less of a less of a reason to, to do so. I like it, it's it's an interesting one. Like, does does he just parachute himself into one of those super teams? Does he like get a contact for Ten Hag or Pochettino and say, listen? 
I know the club. I'm not sure. Like I think Pochettino in particular would be pretty headstrong and knows that he's done a pretty good job in his career so far and would would know what he wants in terms of a backroom team. Ten Hag might well be similar. I'm not sure if that would necessarily work. It does feel very sort of like current Manchester United to sort of copy and paste a Manchester United legend in there. And maybe that's the thing that holds Rooney back over the next while is that Wayne Rooney, the player, would always be a tag that is attached to him. Yeah, the, the, the whole thing got ruined by Solskjaer and the Solskjaer regime. Yeah. Where it turns out the Solskjaer regime is not as... Uh, it's about the same as anybody else. It's about the same as random ancient... German manager who was like important in the development of football philosophy 25 years ago but hasn't actually done anything yeah it's like Helenio Herrera uh, zombified and just just get, to get a grade from the past and, and, and put him in what would Bielsa have done what would Bielsa have done instead of Rannick that's a very it, interesting question w- one last scenario one, one final scenario here right Luis Enrique is the man they want and he's not available because he's obviously going to take Spain to the World Cup because it's a bad idea to leave your country just before a massive major, particularly <laughs> Spain. Bad idea. It will not work to leave before. You've got you to see them through the tournament and then you make your announcement at the end of that. But stick Bielsa in instead of Rannick for six months. Oh, wow. It would, it would, that would be the most fun outcome. Like, the team would be fit when the next manager came in. There would be none of this, oh, we have to get rid of the ketchup. It would be like, the team is fit. Yeah, you give, you give Bielsa a full season though. And like you, you see him out till the summer twenty twenty. Can't have a full season because you've got you know new manager starting. Luis Enrique coming in. Yeah, yeah. After having won the World Cup. Say that to Marcelo Bielsa and his. And his oh, that's the deal. Yeah, Man United for six months. That, that that should be the, the the sell. Get the interpreter back in front of the microphones in our in our lives again. That's a good sell to the Manchester United hierarchy. It's seven forty eight this morning. If you want to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. Oh eight seven nine one eighty one eighty is the WhatsApp number. You can leave a comment in the YouTube stream. With the power rankings coming up, Keen Tracy is going to join us in studio ten past eight. Sports pages at half eight for you. We have the Celebration Police at 8.50. Graham Hunter is at 10 past nine. Uh, Billy Joe Padden at half nine. Looking back on the Allianz League finals at the weekend. Lots of comments coming in about the embarrassment that was the uh, league final from a Mayo perspective. I don't know. Are you really that embarrassed? Let's find out how embarrassed you are this morning because the, um, the power rankings are next. Some of these critics, these pundits. I absolutely adore them, lads. I have unbelievable time from, but they're, they're a great bunch, but it's not acceptable. I'd like to play the hard man when, when they're on it. It's not very pleasant when you're trying to manage a team. All you're looking for is a bit of civility and a bit of decency, but they just dismiss you like, like you, you know, you have nothing to do with the bloody occasion. Three long weeks without the power rankings. At Whoa, where, where have you been all my life? I, that's what people out there are asking this morning. I'm not sure how an entire society can go by without its weekly dose of correctness. Um, let's go through these. We've had two final two rounds of regulation. We've had league finals since then, so there's plenty of turbulence. At 32, though, there's no turbulence. It's still Waterford, and in ahead of them is uh, Carlo, still there at 31. What's with what's the new bed? I don't know. It was like a. What is it? It's air? Oh. Is it? Right. This is this is this is the sound of just pure fact-based journalism coming at you. Oh, I, th- I thought maybe you were going to say vape-based, <laughs> lying on your couch, going, oh, "I need to make some changes, man." I <laughs> like gotta channel my inner peace, man. Yeah, got kicked out of the corporate box after that. I'd say so. Yeah, yeah. or maybe not. You know, things have changed. Things have changed. Uh, number thirty is Wexford. They are down. Uh, London are also down they started really well to the league as we all know won their first three games but then lost the rest of them to 29th Wicklow are up to 28th they ended up getting relegated they did get a big win in the penultimate round of their uh, Division 3 campaign they did beat Longford 
Uh, but they uh, lost the rest of their games barring for Manor who they drew with uh, Leitrim stayed put at 27th Sligo stayed put at 26th uh, Longford they got a big win against Leash on the last day of the regulation part of the league they beat Leash by 7 points there they're up to 24th uh, for Manor are in a 23rd up a spot uh, Antrim staying put at 22nd Leash then one of the big fallers all the way down to 25th after they got relegated to Division 4 down are also falling they're down to 21st they've been relegated as well uh, and Westmeath I'll accept maybe the algorithm got broken just a little bit I typed in the wrong numbers into the calculator a few weeks ago Westmeath were perhaps a tad overrated they're down to 20th uh, Tipperary bit of a rise from them a, a good conclusion to the league it looked for a while as if they weren't going to get out of Division 4 but they did they're up to 19th they could have possibly won how did, how did they on, do in the final Saturday <laughs> they got they, are unfortunate not to win the game they, obviously very unfortunate very unfortunate not to get their hands on that silverware uh, Limerick uh, also unfortunate not to get their hands on the silverware they were up three spots to 18th after making it to the Division 3 final and getting promoted but they did lose to, to Louth uh, awfully down to 17th after the last couple of weeks and then Louth one of the bigger risers here are up to 16th that two point win against Limerick and in their hands in silverware Mickey Hart Gavin Devlin doing a good job there and uh, they are into the top two divisions will not be playing Talton Cup Cork survived in Division 2 and you have to say that by the skin of their teeth uh, they've managed to preserve their place in the top 16 teams in the country here so I have them up in 15th So Cavan who win Division 4 are ahead of Cork who stay in Division 2 Yeah well I mean Cavan couldn't get to Division 2 this year could they? No they Cavan were in Division 3 could they have got into Division 2? I suspect they might have I mean, and they'll be playing in the same division as Cork next year. Okay, it's interesting. So, I mean, they're not even going to be playing the same competition now for the rest of the year. Yeah, I know. But like, I mean, that that's why these things exist. The power rankings are better than the than the official tournament. Yes, Fair enough. Well, I, I think, think we can all agree with that. I think that goes without saying. So, Cavan, for any radio listeners, are in at fourteenth. Uh, Clare stay put at number thirteen. Meath at number twelve, staying put. Derry then drop a place to eleventh perhaps a tad overrated as well over the start of the season or maybe their form just tailed off and we'll see them backfiring on all cylinders in the Ulster Championship uh, Galway have dropped down to 10th I genuinely thought and maybe even think that Galway could be a better team than Roscommon but if you get beaten by Roscommon in back-to-back games it's hard to have them ahead of them and then I also made the decision to have Kildare ahead of Galway just because of some of the moments we saw from Kildare in this league drawing with Kerry beating Dublin beating Monaghan by 9 points in the penultimate day of the league I think having them outside uh, Galway might have been a, a, a tad incorrect actually so I, I have him in at ninth. Uh, Ross Common On behalf of the County of Kildare and Paul Mescal apology accepted Thank you very much uh, Ross Common at eighth up a few spots they finished the league really well the only unbeaten team in the country of course uh, like the, the, since we've last done these power rankings they beat Offaly by 10 points and then they won back-to-back games against Galway so uh, definitely deserving of the rise Armagh down a few spots to seventh. It definitely burned brightly early in the league. And maybe it's a dairy situation here where they come back and they tear through the Ulster Championship and they've been keeping their powder dry after securing themselves in Division 1. Well, Geezer's team's not great in the early rounds of championships, are they? Famously, famously. But then again, you have those those early moments in this year's league beating Dublin. And the day of the brawl, beating Tyrone, I think was a, was a good result. Um, Donegal in at sixth. Monaghan in at fifth. And Dublin at fourth staying put at fourth yes the Monaghan game has happened since we last updated the rankings but so was the Donegal game and I just reckon if Dublin played Monaghan five times in a championship series where will those games be on Dublin well we, let's just go with neutral venue as opposed to or else two home two away uh, well, um, and neutral. but sure their so home Croke Park, so Parnell Park. <laughs> here's the thing because they, they, they will never play outside of 
is there any format? Is there any possibility of an All Ireland quarter final? There's a qualifier. They could both be in the qualifiers, right? Yeah. They couldn't. They actually couldn't. Not this year. Dublin and Monaghan. Yeah. Oh, they definitely could. Well, so really, sorry, you mean the possibility of Dublin being beaten in the Leinster Championship? Yeah. Is impossible. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, what could happen is that Dublin Dublin have played Monaghan in All Ireland quarterfinals in the past, where Monaghan have gone through the back door and got Dublin through the front door, and that that could be a very real possibility. Are they all automatically fixed for Croker? They are, aren't they? I think so. Yeah, I think well, quarterfinals. I can't remember. So, like, there is no, there's no world in which Monaghan can play Dublin legitimately. That the game is not in Croke Park, unless they get knocked out of the Leinster Championship. Yeah. Like I presume anyway that, that all those four fixtures are going to be taking place in Croke Park as they always have done uh, Mayo are down a spot to third after the league final I'm not sure what I would have done last week but it doesn't matter we're here now Toronto are in at second and I'm pretty um, forthright in that that Toronto are ahead of Mayo right now I'm not sure if that's a reaction to the league final or not because I think Toronto are really good in Clarny and then Kerry are in at number one staying put Okay, well, let's. Let, I think I think you've overrated Monaghan there, right? I think maybe underrated Donegal a bit. I think I think when Monaghan played Donegal in a again, where will that be? Probably neutral venue. Um, the toss a coin there, so maybe they should be both fifth, and there's no sixth team. Uh, but let's talk about the dubs, right? Dublin are behind Mayo at the moment. Yeah, in the championship. So this is now a championship. The league is over. Yeah, this is kind of like a championship these are, preview these rankings, are I guess. Championship rankings. So y- you would expect Mayo to go further than Dublin. No, you don't. You expect them both to go to the same level this year. Yeah, and by the time we get to that, I know it's not the way the draw is set up, but we're the same as last year and they come up against each other in the semi-final. Just, just tip Mayo. It's unbelievably close. But if Mayo get all those players back, and presumably if it was just shadow boxing from their perspective on Sunday, then I think that that Mayo team won't be too far off the Mayo team that we saw beat Dublin last year. And where Dublin this year in comparison to that team, you could argue that they're a little bit off that team that did lose to Mayo last year. Now the the, the big game changer, and like we've we've distilled all this this Dublin argument now. It's it's been getting narrower and narrower and narrower over the last month about all the players that are coming back to one person. All of a sudden, Conor Callan yeah. is the the man who has the keys to, to Dublin's dreams of of getting one more All Ireland. If you compare their starting 15s on paper, you possibly make an argument that the Dublin have a better team. But I think that it's just the the squad and even some of those water carrier players around the middle third that, that Mayo have that are just that bit better than Dublin's bench players at the moment which should see them through obviously the couple of injuries that Mayo have they don't have a fully squ- fit squad compared to the one that they would have ideally wanted from the, the outset of the season but it's still a squad uh, strong enough to beat Dublin I think just How big an achievement would it be for this Dublin team to win All-Ireland this year? That'd be incredible wouldn't it? Like I, I think well incredible maybe is a bit strong but I think it, w- it would definitely Compared be the sweetest to any of the- for them I think it would be the sweetest for them bar maybe 2011 for, for Dublin fans so it, it, it's at the level of 2011 uh, is, are, oh yeah I would say so I think there's nothing nothing sweeter than being written off and being written off potentially incorrectly because I guess it will have been incorrect all the writing off if they go and win the All-Ireland this year now I do think that maybe the criticism of Dublin hasn't necessarily been they're not going to win the All-Ireland although I did spot Pat Spillane writing that uh, this morning saying Dublin are not going to win the All-Ireland so there you go congratulations on lifting Sam Maguire 2022 uh, everybody in Dublin but bar that, I think, I think the criticism has mostly been they're just not what they once were and there was hope for everybody else. Now, I think that, as you can see in the rankings there, I, I would have three teams better than them at well, the Kerry, moment. Well, Kerry are miles ahead of everybody at the moment. 
they're actually miles ahead of everybody and so there is definitely people um, we had a lot of comments in yesterday yeah. from people saying uh, that what's happened here is that Kerry have peaked too soon I don't believe that I don't buy that for a second they, they needed confidence and they needed confidence in the new defensive system and they've got that and they now have a definitive style of play and all, the, all of the question marks that we had about them for the last couple of years are gone I would say that there is a possibility for, for those people who said that Kerry might have peaked too soon but I think the, the reality might be if Kerry don't end up winning the All-Ireland here is that they're maybe a little bit like Manchester City where they have the strongest squad and they look brilliant in the league when they can rotate the squad when they need to rotate the squad week after week and the fixtures are coming thick and fast and there's a little bit more of a, a randomness to it in terms of the players that you're playing and the players that you're coming up against and, and they would brush teams aside but when it comes to the big moment, when you've got a few weeks of a lead into a massive game, and you're thinking about that game quite a lot, and there's a recent history of you bottling the big games, so I'm talking about Manchester City in the Champions League here, obviously, then you start to doubt them. That, that, that I think, would be the reality here as opposed to them peaking too soon. Did they bottle a game against Tyrone last year, or did their best player get injured at a key moment in the game? Uh, um, Do you know? Yeah. Uh, I think there's a bit, a bit, like I think there was a bit, bit of bottling going on. Uh, like, uh, there was a couple of chances that obviously were, were very unfortunate that they didn't convert, and like it's, it's it's hard to know. I, I do think that there was definitely a bit of a mental block. I think 2020 exposed that as well. And to a certain extent, 2019. I think 19 is a bit of a free pass given the quality of opposition and the, the age profile of the squad. But 20 and 21 felt similar in certain ways. Uh, Kerry played their full hand against Mayo's second team, says Sir Klopp, in the middle of spring. Haven't they learned anything from last year? And Connor says, Kerry still haven't won the All-Ireland. They're going 100 miles an hour in April. I would give Tyrone, Mayo, Dublin and Armagh a chance of taking them in a semi-final and possibly a final. I don't think Armagh are going to do it yet. I think that um, Armagh need still to establish the fact that they can win big games like an All-Ireland semi-final and we haven't seen that from them. Like At least with the Tyrone team, they'd been to an All-Ireland final, they'd been to All-Ireland semi-finals, they had lost those and they'd had a change in management who were doing something different. That was the, the difference between them last year. And also, like just Darren McCurry has become an elite forward and he wasn't even part of the setup at various stages in the past uh, some more comments I don't think we should be making any excuses for Mayo you can't switch it on and off same old tactical inept performance but also they just don't have the players I don't think that's true at all I think you can make loads of excuses I think they were completely vanilla they weren't they weren't showing how they're going to deal with David Clifford because no one's going to leave David Clifford on an island or else they are going to leave David Clifford on an island and they're going to say we're going to concede 1-7 to him and another 6 points to the rest of the team and that's it. That's what we're going to do. But we're going to have loads of players back. There will be a massive funneling back of players. But there was no funneling back of players the weekend. Not really. No, it, it, it felt it was too easy. Uh, Humanify says, One of the most embarrassing performances I've ever witnessed as a Mayo fan. Shouldn't be losing by this much to any team. Great carry performance and team in fairness, though. Yeah, like when it comes to, to Mayo and when it comes to... Maybe this is a bit more close to Dublin. There's, there's plenty of examples of teams who have, who have been terrible at the start of the championship never mind in the league and gone on to win the All-Ireland like 2009 when, when Kerry win, win the All-Ireland and, and this is probably closer to Dublin as I say like they, were, they were shocking during the Munster Championship they got through the qualifiers by the skin of their teeth it's out of nowhere they beat Dublin by 17 points in an All-Ireland quarter-final I'm not sure do Mayo have that capability I think that they'll probably build slowly and you maybe expect a big performance Whereas I wonder, is that coming from Dublin? Is that sting in the tail actually coming from Dublin at some point this season? Like, I, I don't know. I, I, I do think that Mayo... There's no evidence for the Dublin thing, is the only thing? Like, uh, there wasn't any evidence for Kerry in 09. Now, in fairness, they had a good league that year. I think they won the league. Because I think every year Jack O'Connor's won the championship, he's won the league. 
so uh, they must have obviously done so in '09. But like, their their best players were at the right age. Yeah, the Dublin team. I don't know. This group of players aren't that old. The ones who are left are actually not old. They are many of them are in their what should be peak. Yeah, like the uh, like five or six players that that have started to play well recently as well are absolutely in their peak. And you're talking about Fenton, Kilkenny, Brian Howard. Like Niall Scully was arguably their best player last season, and like he's at the the, the right age to be a dominant player and an all star again this season. So I'd have less concerns about them. The, the Mayo thing is just a harder thing to pin down, isn't it? Like I, I wouldn't necessarily be as worried as that texture, but I, I would also say that you can't just throw away everything that you saw on Sunday. But that's a positive for James Horan, isn't it? That he's not going to throw away all of it. He's like, okay, we've got a very long list of things that we've got from Sunday, but it gives us a lot to work on. And, and maybe Galway, maybe, maybe Galway is the real concern at the moment, as opposed to uh, any All Ireland. But the, the good news for them is that there is a safety net. Yeah, if you're a Mayo fan, you're looking at what happened to Tyrone last year yeah. against the same team and going, well, that's, that's, good. that's a good portent for us. That's a harbinger of glory. Um, obviously, Tyrone are a completely different team from. Uh, this Mayo team at the moment and like we don't know what impact it was interesting to hear Anthony Moyles yesterday in studio say he doesn't expect Killian O'Connor to be Killian O'Connor this season at all that you can't be you can't be building the team around him you might get a meaningful 15-20 minutes out of him in crunch moments later as, as the season goes on that might just be enough you know like that might just be enough let's talk about Trome because um, as predicted they had a very slow start to the league campaign and then they roared back mm. the strength and depth issue that will emerge from having seven players leave from last year's panel. That is important. But is it that important? Well, I don't think we've seen it yet. The actual aftermath of that or the, the, the proof of it in the results. Because they've actually got better the more people have walked away, it seems, over the league. I think the, the Kerry result was actually real icing on the cake for their for their league campaign. Because... Nobody expected them to contend for this league. Like they've, they've been poor after winning all Ireland's in the past, and James Dunne, who obviously called them to uh, called them to get relegated, it, it almost did happen. Kerry basically got Kildare relegated that day. By the way, just just a little nice little tidbit there by like not going hell for leather for the game. One of the immediate re- re- uh, outcomes was Jack O'Connor got to watch Kildare go down. A nice sayonara from Jack. Yeah, just saying. It's like a, an added bonus. I'm sure it was a, a pure coincidence. Like. The, you can't look at the the um, never give the, a sucker an even break. Oh, Tyrone, let's be. Uh, what what were what were Kerry doing? We're just chilling out. What in the were sunshine, they doing in the beer garden beforehand? Making making Tyrone feel we have their number again. That's a good idea, isn't it? No, that's let's wait and see. Let's wait idea. and see later. I'm actually good dying to see that game now later in the year. Will it happen though? Uh, unlikely. Well, they were one and two in the rankings, and they're on opposite sides of the draw. And uh, it, it, it's it's possible for it to happen. I, I do think. Hopefully, it happens in the All Ireland quarter final. That's what I want. That would be the greatest All Ireland quarter final. I want that. That I want that to happen this year. But there's going to be at least one absolute box office quarter final because of the fact that yeah, but somehow the draw will be fixed so that Kerry don't get it. And I don't mean fix fix, but just it'll, it'll accidentally happen that way that Kerry somehow get ushered straight through to an All-Ireland semi-final. No, I'm, I'm sure Barely it is fixed, fixed. broken sweat. I'm sure it is fixed, fixed. I'm sure Kerry like, cheated all down through the years to get their 36 All-Irelands. No, they that's just had a handy draw. Yeah. They just had to play two games. Yeah, two, two games. They had to beat the Cork footballers. The biggest county in Ireland. I mean, who are Hurling County. population. Hurling County. We've got a load of All-Irelands. Only years in Hurling. Great teams of yeah. the 2000s. By five, five football-only clubs. <laughs> Uh, yeah, like I, I don't like it would. I, I think maybe in the past, what you've got is a, a, um, a couple of shocks in the back door, 
for example, Throne getting beaten by Longford, wasn't it, in, in 09, was it, or was it 06? One of those years. Or, sorry, it was Sligo, um, Sligo maybe, and then Mayo got taken up by Longford one of the years. But anyway, you're not going to have those uh, shots again. taking no, place because over. they've all been taken out of it and now it's uh, uh, we've uh, funneled in. They'll be playing in a different competition that no one will watch, see, or hear of. Yeah. Still, somehow, though, Kerry will get loud in an All-Ireland quarterfinal. Yeah, exactly. That, that's what will happen. Uh, right. So, number one, by a mile on a tier in a tier of their own no not yes, in a tier yes they are in a tier of their they're own they're not in a tier they of their own they are just, they just want to leave final by double scores <laughs> but they're against, against a team who's third or fourth a team as you put it themselves uh, put it yourself yeah but you said you can't throw it all out so no, you can't. Um, nothing can stop the hype train in Kerry at the moment <laughs> nothing really what do, you, what do you think is happening down in Kerry right now what's, what's your image of what, what's going on in that county I mean uh, you're painting the sheep green and gold the, they're like um, instead of the the Guinness coming out of the, the taps it's actually just Kerrygold yeah and people are like underneath it feed yeah. me like the, except it's you know instead of butter the people are like imagining it's all Ireland medals yeah that's it exactly and like all Ireland medals are getting back in the change like we're back yeah it's, it, it, I've heard reports that that's exactly what's happening here they've stopped trains coming in and out of the county so that people can't see it no American tourists allowed no I, I did see actually a tour bus the other day um, that was uh, it looked like it had a lot of Americans on it that's uh, when you know that the county's back Clarny's a bit a bit plastic though isn't it oh. isn't it do you think go that for it. no go on no no you think that no it's I would, I would I would never say I don't think that no do, you I do. do not think that secretly you think Clarny getting gentrified a little bit not gentrified just full of tourists and it's 15 quid for a pint uh, it's got it's got more expensive for sure, but so is everywhere else in the country. No, that hasn't a lot of a lot of value. A lot of us have returned to our core Irish values of um, value for money and, and good spiritedness. Yeah, I did meet a couple of Kerry players who had to pay into an iClub uh, recently. Controversial. Was, yeah. Why did they not pull the "Don't you know who I am"? As clearly, uh, they, they might have done, and they were they were uh, rejected the opportunity to to offer up who they were. And um, yeah, I mean, fair, fair play to them. Just contributing to the local economy, keeping things going. All right, I, and the fact that the Kerry players are speaking to you—that's going to stop pretty soon. <laughs> it's never, it never started. It's never a thing. Eight minutes past eight this morning. If you want to get in touch with us, if you uh, would like to pick apart Owen's uh, rankings, please do. You can do it in our YouTube channel. Uh, you can on the comments, subscribe there, or you can do it using the hashtag OTBAM on Twitter as well. That's this week's power rankings. I absolutely adore them lads. I have unbelievable time from, but they're, they're a great bunch, but it's not acceptable. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We're talking rugby with Keen Tracy next. OTB. Ten minutes past eight this Tuesday morning. You're very welcome back to OTBAM. It's Journal with you all the way through until ten. You can get in touch. Oh eight seven nine one eighty one eighty is the WhatsApp number, or you can leave a comment on the YouTube stream. Keen Tracy, of the Irish Independent, is with us in studio. Keen, you're very welcome. How are you? Morning, lads. How are you? Uh, we've asked you to give us some idea of what we should be watching this weekend in the Champions Cup. But before we do that, you've actually been covering the women's Six Nations for the last couple of weeks. Um, it's tricky. It's tricky from an Ireland perspective because we are all trying to give the team an opportunity and an even break and an opportunity to, you know, bed in this new culture, the new playing group, the new coaching tickets. But the results have been poor so far and we could be facing a long period of poor results before we start seeing any uptick. We could, but that's why I think this week, this Sunday against Italy is absolutely massive. Um, I suppose like the two defeats have been disappointing, but they've both been against professional outfits. Um, 
albeit Wales have only recently changed and I don't think there was any shame in losing to, to France away from home no Irish women's team has ever beaten France on French soil but I think it was the manner of the defeat like 27 handling errors 44% success rate after line out 60 after scrum so they're deep-rooted issues, but I don't think we should be surprised, really, that th- this is happening. Um, I, I suppose the women's game has been neglected for so long, and the chickens are probably coming home to roost now. So, unfortunately, there is going to have to be a bit of pain before this team get back on track. But, like I said, if they don't beat Italy this weekend, they're staring down the, the barrel of a wooden spoon. And for all that, you know, we do need to have patience, and it will be a long-term plan still got to get some performances and a couple of results along the way so yeah it's massive this weekend Jer. how long how long does this something like this take because it, it is a, a proper reboot of something that was as you said neglected I personally think it's going to take at least a couple of years um, I mean not making a World Cup when when so few nations are competitive enough to, to, to qualify for it in the first place is just such a massive blow Um I think you're seeing it in terms of the depth or the lack of depth. Like, so, for example, the first day against Wales, there was three unused replacements, which is unheard of uh, in the modern game. Last weekend, despite the fact that the scrum was being absolutely dismantled, you had Linda Gang, who's obviously a star and one of, one of Ireland's strongest players, but for the second week in a row, she played 80 minutes. And it's actually like a conversation I was having with you guys, I remember a few weeks ago, when Andy Farrell basically had Tyg Furlong and Andrew Porter go almost a full 80 minutes in Paris. So there's kind of parallels between the men's team. So, um, but one of the props, Chloe Pierce, didn't get on in France either. So look, there's, there's deep-rooted issues. And because they've so little game time on the training pitch to, to get things right, um, you can't just suddenly expect the scrum and the line-out to, to be better this weekend. So it's such a tricky balance because they won't go into camp until Thursday and they're playing on Sunday. So you compare that to, to the men or even to the likes of France, England and Wales who have been in camp all week preparing for their game. It's yeah. just, it's so tricky. Yeah, they're, they're in work today and mm. yesterday or in college doing stuff. So it is, it is very difficult. We'll come back to that obviously and we have a full uh, preview show later on this week um, to preview that game to look back on the France game as well. Let's talk a little bit more about um, the Munster Lancer fallout because we're talking about the Champions Cup games worth watching this weekend and um, obviously we'll keep a very close eye on these. What, what, where are Munster at the moment? Because uh, Alan Quinn was unwilling to press the, the panic button yesterday when, when we were talking to him but I'm not sure. I kind of feel like it is, it's getting pretty close to it. Yeah, like I think the one thing you'd say is, and, and, and first of all, I think it's it's really important for any discussion around the the game last weekend is to acknowledge how good Leinster were. I mean, I thought at times it was like watching Ireland, not just the personnel that were involved, but also the slickness in in their backline moves. So I think it's important to, to state that. But I just can't get away from the fact that Munster wanted Johan van Grand to stay on and he would be staying on if he didn't have his head turned by a bucket a bucket load of cash from Bath I, I just think that's so damning uh, to the organisation as a whole I think it's interesting um, I would say like I obviously have a lot of friends and family who go to Munster matches every week uh, from back home and like they've been disillusioned for a long time but I think there's been like a cohort of I would say Munster fans online who are would have quite strong voices in the social media sphere but I think they've like you know stayed patient stayed patient but I think that is starting to turn now as well and you can see it in the attendances and like like personally I'm so fed up of hearing the same old excuses that oh there's confirmations on there's communions on 
that's what it was before. I heard that mentioned again last weekend. Uh, I know COVID has an issue in the GA clashes and stuff, but Munster's attendances in big games hasn't been the same as what it was back, certainly when, when I was going to games. Like I remember days when you wouldn't get a ticket for let's say like a big English team coming to town as Exeter are in two weeks you just wouldn't be able to get a ticket like there was times where you had to be queuing overnight in in the streets of Limerick to a Ticketmaster to get tickets like now we know the glory days are so far away so far removed from where they are now but it's the fall from there to where they are now like to not be able to sell out a Leinster game or even come close to it like I, I just think is so disappointing and how can you expect and I'm not having a go at Munster fans by the way here because how can you expect supporters to pay their hard-earned money to go watch a team who are they're not good to watch, let's face it? I did think they tried to play a little bit more uh, against Leinster, but when they, they did try to do that, the, the golf was almost shown to be as big, if not as bigger than it ever has been. So there's, there's serious, massive issues. I... I, I also can't believe that they haven't announced their head coach yet. Um, like they've known for so long, and I, and I know the IRFU and David Nusafora—they're the ones who are you know in charge of this appointment. But not well, they, they always get stuff so right as well. I mean, I'm, I'm delighted that uh, you know the the uh, massive investment that we've made in Nusafora and, and all that part, that he's the one charged with making this decision. But the, and the point is, like it. It looks like Graham Rowntree will be the new Munster head coach. And that, that might be the right thing, you know. But like, it might not be. But th- this is my point. So when Johan van Graan got appointed, he was a relative rookie, but he had never been a head coach. Now, I know Graham Rowntree has savage experience with the Lions, with England, with Munster, and he's hugely well-regarded in Munster. The players really like him. They love playing for him. But he's never been a head coach. So it's a risk. I, I, I think it's a risk for him to be the new head coach, albeit it's a calculated risk and it's probably one we're taking, but there's just no plan in place. Like, they're signing players, they've, they've signed Malachi Fekatoa. Like, if Graham Rountree is going to be the new head coach, he's not an attack coach. So, like, who is making these signings and who's to say the attack coach that comes in doesn't really fancy Fekatoa? Now, he's world-class, like, he will be a brilliant signing, but... It's it's just all so muddled. I think got a worrying injury down. profile. Like he does, it's no, you know, there's no point in. But but who who, who is saying that Malachi, Malachi Fekitoa is going to fit how Munster want to play next week? Because he's a very different type of player to Damien Dialende. So do we, I, do we know who the backroom team might include? Has there been any suggestion about what might be around? Like is Mike Prendergast? I don't think so. I mean, unless it's going to be a serious curveball, I don't think Mike Prendergast is going to be involved. I th- like he's still under contract at Racing. Uh, he's got a very good job there. He's working with world class players. He's got a young family. They're well settled. Like life in Paris. Like I mean, you know, there's worse places in the world to be. But my my sense is that his head could have been turned. But I just don't know how hard Munster went after him back when it became clear that there was a position there um, I think like if you want to go get a coach who's, who's coaching one of the best back, one of the best attacks in, in the world and in Europe you've got to go after him make him a deal that you know to turn his head to come home and I, I don't know is the honest answer if they did that so I don't know the one name that keeps popping up is Milton Haig um, who worked with Graham Rowntree at Georgia before um, to come in possibly as a director of rugby but it's it's strange because normally you know you'd through the grapevine you'd be hearing stuff but like it's just all very quiet and I genuinely don't know if there is a, a backroom team in place already and when you think about how close we are to the end of the season now that is worrying so to get back to your original point I think that feeds into 
from the top down, like the malaise that we're, we're seeing in Munster. And yeah, like you, you talk about the women, it might get worse. Like if you look at Munster's fixtures over the next couple of weeks and the injuries that they have, it might get worse. It's kind of mad that this season actually had that win against Wasps with the kids and Ian Costello in charge. And that, that thing actually happened this season when it felt like an all-time, not an all-time, a, a kind of a, maybe a three or four year high in terms of expectation and hope for the future. Absolutely, and like you look at the young players who came off the bench against Leinster at the weekend, they're the ones who were really driving it and trying to change it. And I know, like Johan van Graan has given young players their chance in the last, we'll say, year, but a lot of that has been down to COVID. Um, there was an issue at the start where he kept going back to the tried and trusted players, and I think you know COVID helped in that regard because you know certain players were missing at different times, so he had to play the young players. But you look at someone like Alex Kendellen who came off the bench at the weekend; like I thought he was outstanding. Now, compared to the impact and absolutely zero impact that someone like Chris Kalita made on the game and that guy is leaving at the end of the season Look, going to bat Munster don't want to keep him so there's been the biggest opportunity blocker for young back rowers in Munster and he has been mediocre at best like I've no idea what the thought process behind signing him or bringing him to the club was I'm sure he's a very nice fella and I'm sure he bought into the Munster vibes and I'm sure he was an excellent teammate but what is the strategy behind signing mediocre players who the, so he was Irish qualified after his five years here, right? Or maybe it was three, three years yeah, yeah. when he signed. Mm-hmm. But what's the point? We don't want them. We don't. We don't. We don't need mediocre back rowers. We have plenty. We have plenty of world class back rowers, and we have plenty of mediocre back rowers. It made no sense. Like for me, their their signing policy is a scatter going like Manchester United. Let's let's sign some superstars and let's sign a bunch of players. And it, it so happened that a bunch of those players were South African because the coach and the previous coach or previous director of rugby were South African. But what was the strategy behind it? What were they trying to achieve? I can't answer that. Yeah, no, you're right. And I think it said so much that when like Chris Clute, you know, became Irish qualified... I don't think there was a single person in the country saying that this guy should be in the squad. And, you know, if you're going to be cynical about it, when he was brought over, it was with the attention of capping him because that was what the, the project player rule is for. So, look, I, like, I just think it's really frustrating when you see... it. Like, fair enough, if he's going to come in for the big games like last weekend and make an impact. But, like, like Leinster just looked at him and said, we're just going to demolish him. He doesn't really offer a whole pile around a few breakdown steals in each game. And at that, he concedes an awful amount of penalties. So I just compare that to someone like Alex Kendellen, who's grown up, you know, as a monster fella. You know, he's captained the Ireland under-20s. I know he's still young and they have to mind him, but I just think the future is now for all these guys. You look at Craig Casey coming on, you look at Ben Healy, like Thomas O'Hearn. Like, Clouda was getting in ahead of Jack O'Donoghue at times over the last five years. That made no sense. He was, he was. And it's like, like I said, it's, it's really, really frustrating. But Munster have, I think Munster have been given, like, they've been so lucky, not so lucky, but I think COVID has papered over the cracks in, in terms of the, this management team weren't trusting young players for a long, long time. And I know for a fact that that was causing a lot of the players down there real disappointment that they weren't getting the chances because they felt like as soon as the, the, the frontliners came back from international camp, they were rolling back into the team no matter how well they were playing. And you compare that to, to what Leinster do and what Leo Cullen does. And, you know, I, Munster fans are probably frustrated to compared to Leinster but you have to do that you know you have to do that but Leinster always get the balance right and we saw that again last Saturday 
they didn't even start their front five and their pack still monstered Munster. So I think like Leinster always get the balance right between rewarding players who have been keeping the show on the road during the international windows and then easing the, the, the big guns back, which we'll see again this weekend with the likes of Johnny Sexton coming back. So um, it's really frustrating, but I think like the, the one note of optimism I would have about Munster is I do truly believe that there is a seriously talented young crop of players there. It just needs the next head coach to trust them now and not in another two years to say, oh, Craig Casey, you know, when Conor Murray retires. These guys are putting the pressure on now and they deserve to be rewarded. If they had been beaten out the gate, and it might have been interesting to see what would have happened if Foss hadn't been uh, riddled with COVID, but um, if they'd been beaten out the gate and the kids have been completely incapable, they weren't. That was the thing. Like... you, do you know what I like this? The academy way? is clearly really, really well run. They're mm. they're very good at, at getting players to get to that level, and then they hit this brick wall of of mediocrity that is preventing them from playing and and getting game time and experience. And the academy, the academy point is a really good one, Jared, because like it's been poor over the last few years, and there's a lot of work still to do. But like someone like Ian Costello coming back, that's why I'm so glad that I, as far as I'm aware, he's not and has never been in the running to to be one of the coaches on the Munster senior backroom team. Because particularly like Owen, you mentioned the Wasps game around that there would have been a lot of talk oh you know because they played such brilliant rugby that day like why not get Ian Costello in as attack coach but his role is so important in aligning like the AIL has been you know disregarded as well across the country but like that has always been such a bedrock of Munster's success so I think someone like Ian Costello coming back has a really important role to play in terms of aligning the Munster system from from the top down and just one other quick point on the the young lads I thought it was really interesting like um, like I was over in France watching the match kind of on my phone on the go and then I watched it back when when I got home on Sunday but the lack of kind of flashpoints in the first half for Munster Leinster Derby I just saw it I was like crazy like you know Leinster coming down into Tone Park you always get one or two and actually the two I think it was only two that happened in the second half both came from two of the younger Munster players Thomas Sirhern was involved in one Finney and Witchardy. like I'm not saying that you know you need to make a scrap but like they were the ones who were bringing the fight to Leinster had no regard for the reputation so um, I just think we need to see more of them now coming through over, from now until the end of the season because it's all well and good saying the future but what if the future is now 100%. Okay, let's talk briefly about the Exeter team that they're going to face. Um, I think the worst case scenario is coming through for the injury perspective from a Munster perspective uh, so far anyway. There's, mm-hmm. there's some hope that um, Zebo might be back and Michaelian might be back and, and uh, you know that would definitely help and John Klein, I think. But the rest of them that they were kind of iffy about, it looks like it's bad news. Tigbar in particular um, probably won't make either of these two games. What kind of an Exeter team are they going to face? Rejuvenated. They're definitely not the, the team they were, but they've strung a few results together in the last few weeks. You know, that has them right back in contention in, in the Premiership. Look, you know what you're going to get from Exeter. Unbelievably tough physical pack. They're going to look to, to take the game to Munster, which in the, the style of play that Johan van Gran has been playing over the last while like it'll be interesting to see if Munster opt to go toe to toe with that but you know you, you, you touched on the players Jared, that they're missing like you take Dave Kilcoyne Tygburn and Gavin Coombs out of that pack now any team would be weakened by missing them so I don't know if Munster, like, have they got it within them to go toe-to-toe with that physical battle or will they be brave enough to mix it up? Like, I thought it was interesting to see Joey Carberry going to, to full back again uh, at the weekend. You know, it's something that Ireland have done twice in, in recent months as well. So I, 
personally, I'd be surprised if we saw Joey Carberry starting at fullback, but I think that's a discussion that isn't going to go away anytime soon. You have like the, the Ireland kind of situation lingering in the background because he's clearly Johnny Sexton's number two. So I would like to see Munster play with a bit more ambition and try and stretch the extra defence. But like I said, they did that against Leinster and Leinster still managed to pick them apart. I thought the skill level between Leinster and Munster was just like frightening in terms of the difference. Um, you think back to... I think a lot of times Munster have come up short. It's been that the skill level of the forwards just hasn't been on the same level. And like to be fair, now I know Leinster had the starting Ireland back row and they were all outstanding, particularly Caelan Doris. But that front five is likely to be entirely changed for the Connacht game on Friday night. So you can't say that that was a full a full choice Leinster Leinster pack. So, but even in terms of the the back line, I just in, in terms of Munster, you compare Leinster's slick moves, and Munster just don't have that. That cohesion and that, you know, that firepower in terms of starter plays, like I said, it was like watching Ireland at times. So, again, I don't know, do Munster have it within them then to play that expansive game in Exeter either? So, look, I think it's going to be a very tough game um, missing, missing those key players. And I know the second, like the two-legged thing kind of adds a different kind of dynamic to it. But, like, they've got Ulster coming up after that as well. So, it's a really, really tough run of form. We've got Keith Wood in studio tomorrow. So, we'll get into more detail around what needs to happen with regards to Munster in the short term and in the, the medium to long term as well. Let's talk a bit about Connacht and Leinster. How do you make the case for a Connacht win? You'd be a bit concerned that maybe this this could be a train wreck. Yeah. Um, I was actually, when I was in waiting at the gate to go to Toulouse on Friday, the Connacht squad were in the, the gate next to me going to Treviso and I was chatting to a couple of them and I wouldn't say like there was a nervous tension, but like there was a serious realization that they had to win last weekend, and they did. But but it wasn't it wasn't all that convincing, and they made tough work for themselves. Like Connacht's defense has been a real issue for them this season, and like I said, you look at how slick that Leinster attack was, and you're going to probably see Johnny Sexton coming back into the team this weekend as well. Um, so it it is very hard to make the case. I'm not a big fan, I don't know what you lads think, like I'm not a big fan of the, the two legged um the two legged affairs that we're going to see over the next couple of weeks. Like I just hate the, the tinkering with the Champions Cup in general. I just Maybe for a final where you know the two teams in it are going to be relatively equally matched apart from yeah. that year that uh, Leicester played Ulster. But like yeah, I'm just a, I'm a traditionalist and I hate the tinkering that they've done. Even the pool stages have been rubbish in my opinion. They're so hard to follow. Uh, the sooner like if it ever does go back to the normal format the better. But I think the two-legged the two-legged ties give a serious disadvantage to the likes of Connacht, who are definitely capable. I think of springing an upset against Leinster in a once-off game, particularly at the sports ground. But you think over two legs like Leinster, yeah, it, it could be it could be a, if Leinster, if Connacht don't get it right and don't keep um, don't keep within touch. I think in the first leg, it could be over aggregated. I think it could be yeah, a really big score. If you think about that Ulster Leinster game, the Aviva in 2019. Uh, like had that been a second leg like that, that's kind of like a magical moment because Ulster came so close but if, the, if there was a second 80 minutes going down the line you would have been like ah well what's what's the point here I mean there's there's probably every chance that Leinster would kind of blow them away in the, the second leg it's probably going to be one of those that they do this year and that's it uh, I mean of, like, maybe we're being too negative maybe maybe there's going to be like some incredible second leg ties here but like Leinster have been flaky in the first 15 minutes in big quarterfinals where they've, the ball has been bouncing back off and upright and it's mm-hmm. like suddenly they're 14 points down and which turned, is why you wanted to be only one leg well they've turned well they've turned it, they've turned it into interesting games by and then you realize that they're are they blow a team out in the semi final. Yeah. So maybe maybe that's it. Maybe a little bit of complacency seeps into this Leinster team. 
Yeah, and they, they like Leinster still have issues, lads, as well. Like, I mean, it, the fact they're signing Jason Jenkins, you know, and Charlie Natoy next season, like two physical players, like they're so. I still think they're so hung up on the physical gap that, the, like, the likes of Saracens and La Rochelle last season told them or showed. So. The problem is I don't. The Connacht absolutely don't have that firepower to expose whatever flaws might be within the, the Leinster team. So um, I don't. I think it's until you get to the latter stages that Leinster will be really tested because, like I said, they haven't quite addressed the power gap that they clearly see they have within their team. Uh, talk to us about Charlie Natwai. Yeah, so he's a, a former All Black uh, who's been playing for Leon for the last few seasons. So it looks like he's going to be signing. He's a centre. Um, a strange signing. I, like as as much as I, I I can see why Leinster is signing Jason Jenkins, but like I also I'm, I'm struggling with it at the same time. Like two two parts of my mind. But Charlie Natoy is a, is a twelve who can play thirteen. So he's obviously coming in as backup to to Robbie Henshaw and Gary Ringrose. I don't think Robbie Henshaw's um, new contract has been announced yet. So I think a few Leinster fans were panicking when they saw that Charlie Natoy was on his way to, to Leinster that maybe Robbie Henshaw was off. But I don't think that's the case at all. So yeah, like it, it's a stri- it's a strange. I mean, like you think back to Leinster's like uh, overseas signings over the last few years, they've been kind of you know, grizzled veterans who have been kind of proven stars. Now, Charlie Natoy was obviously capped by the All Blacks a few times, but like has been in France for the last few years, playing with Lyon, not exactly one of the top teams. So it'll be interesting to see how he fits in. But They've, they've gone after those Antipodean centres over the last couple of years, and many of them have come in and played sporadically, but never in the big games. And, and Charlie Natoy isn't going to play in the big games you would assume unless Robbie Henshaw is injured but then what does that mean for someone like Kieran Frawley who like is like I would say one of the most exciting young players in the country so um, yeah look it's, it's I, I would say it's it's a strange signing I think if you're bringing in um, like someone like a D- Damien Dialende who is going to be like a guaranteed starter and like proven world class I think you know you can understand it so and also Charlie Natoy you know you mentioned Malachi Fekitoa having his injuries uh, Natoy like had a series of concussions um, a couple of years ago that I remember kept him out kept him out of the game for a long time as well so um, yeah Leinster is signing two guys next season Jason Jenkins who's obviously hardly played this season for Munster I know he played against Leinster started last week and Natoy who has also had his injury problems so probably a bit of risk in, in both of those signings too you'd have to say um, The Toulouse-Ulster game Ulster obviously on the way back from their mini tour to South Africa they're not in bad stead considering mm. what happened um, you know they, they have they come away having put in a really good performance and an okay performance and nursing some grievances but having bonded a lot of those young players and I don't know I think there's a, a lot happening to be excited about from an Ulster perspective at the moment there is um, as Eddie O'Sullivan say I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid on, on Ulster just yet though I don't know I still think I'd be surprised if they get through to loose over two legs I still think their front five has has big issues um, lack of power um, particularly in the depth once you go down the depth chart guys coming off the bench and I think that will be shown up um, but they're definitely building something. I think Dan McFarland has done a really good job. And crucially, their academy now is starting to produce players. Even you look at the Ireland under-20 success recently, they had uh, Ruben Crothers, who was the captain, Jude Postlewaite in the centre, like two guys who looked to have a really bright future ahead of them. And, you know, it was interesting being in Toulouse last weekend, lads. I was so tempted. I was really hoping that my boss might ask me to stay there for the week and just cover the Ulster game this weekend because it's not a bad place to be. But... 
like rugby is just such I had actually never been in Toulouse I'd passed through it before a few weeks ago actually to get to Cast when once we were playing over there but it's such a rugby city it reminds me of Limerick um, in a way like a few years ago when, when Munster were, the, the times actually ironically enough when I was talking about people were queuing on the streets overnight to get tickets Munster had like a superstore uh, shop in the middle of town on O'Connell Street and it was great like but Toulouse have one of them in the in the centre now and even I was thinking like for all of like Leinster's success like I don't know have they ever had one certainly I don't think they have one now in Dublin or anywhere so uh, rugby is just such a religion over there like even the fir- one of the first things I spotted after the taxi dropped me off from the airport was um, a poster on a shop window advertising the Ulster game next weekend so uh, like a big crowd came out for the women's game last weekend so I'd say the atmosphere over in Toulouse this weekend is going to be incredible so but I think it's a massive test for Ulster and like I said they're coming back from South Africa I think they will have gotten a lot out of it but uh, I still think they're, they're, they're a little bit short in, in the power stakes and, and obviously Toulouse have so many of the, the French Grand Slam winning team as well so they're a serious outfit yeah, I don't know if you did see DuPont's uh, bit of excellence at the weekend as well it was just magic anyone who hasn't seen it should, should look it up just just typified how absolutely sensational he is this is uh, I, I, the, the clip popped up on my Twitter feed of, um, and I was like oh that was pretty good from DuPont but actually it's not the first thing he does which is like mm. a 60 yard break from the base of the scrum he gets absolutely smashed and he's at the bottom of a rook kind of he kind of you know slowly getting up kind of looking like he's a little bit out of it but actually what he's doing is surveying the field and then phew, this kick that's the one you're talking about is yeah, it yeah it's just just absolutely crazy he's like it's a, ludicrous he's like another back row playing and then like you said he looks like you know he might need to catch his breath here and then all of a sudden he has this peripheral vision and not just sees the, the crossfield kick but also just inch perfect like he's just magic so Ulster will have a job in his hands to, to keep him quiet the uh, off the ball twitter account asks is there a better sports person in the world right now than Antoine Dupont after that yeah and after his GQ kind of sensation with his yellow kind of yeah. dressing gown or oh I missed this oh really oh yeah oh yeah that's another thing you should look up yeah he was on the front the front cover uh, of it wearing like what you call well if he was in South Dublin that they might call it a dry robe a dry robe yeah that's our, that's our only hope here isn't it that like the absolute French success goes to his head that he becomes like a megastar yeah, and I'd, 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 be, I'd be very interested to see how the French kind of, like, you know, the rugby kind of people see that because I, I think Atoje is a bit of the same, but I think rugby, has a, not to go down a rabbit hole here, but I think rugby really needs to promote its stars, like its world stars. It doesn't do enough to, to do that at all. And right now, yeah, DuPont is just... The incredible. Blazers are suspicious of the stars. The Blazers are suspicious of the yellow dry robes. <laughs> what is this guy doing? But when, when he's delivering performances like that, he can wear what he likes. As they wear one <coughs> themselves. What? What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're going to get in trouble. Uh, Bordeaux versus La Rochelle. I don't think anybody in the world would have been that interested in this until what happened at the weekend. Like, oh, sorry, outside of France and outside of... It's, a, it's a, a local Atlantic derby. It's important, obviously. It's a, you know, two-story teams. But the rest of the world would have been kind of happy to go along their merry way and keep an eye on how, how their own teams are doing. But all of a sudden, everybody in Ireland's going, what's going to happen here? Who's going to stand on the touchline? Yeah, and everyone's watching to see the the future England head coach as well to see how he gets on, you know. So uh, that which was another just classic Ronan O'Gara, unbelievable moment. You can't just but love him. I know you, like you have him on the show like all the time, and you know it, it's just it must be magic from your point of view because you just don't know what he's going to give you. But yeah, like it's interesting, I suppose. 
the fact that they played last week, it, like it, it's great because it gives it the narrative in terms of what happened. But like if you look at even Racing and Stad played last weekend as well, and they're going to play each other now, so three weeks in a row. And I'm always disappointed when the Champions Cup throws up uh, ties this early in the knockout stages with teams from the same league. Like I'm disappointed like Leinster and Connacht are playing each other. I like seeing teams from different leagues going up against each other. So yeah, like in that point like you always kind of look out for the Irish interests within the other teams so like you know you're looking at Mike Prendergast and how the racing attack is going you're looking at La Rochelle and how Raj is going um, and I think what's been interesting is with the influx of Irish players and coaches in France over the last couple of years Donica Ryan was the same at racing is they've really helped I think change certain French clubs focus in, when it comes to the Champions Cup because Toulouse have always had it because they have the pedigree they have the history but teams like La Rochelle and Racing less so but Rogers obviously come into La Rochelle and said no like we, we're not sacking this off so I think that's brilliant for the competition they went so close last year uh, Racing is the Racing are the same I think when Donica Ryan was there he played a massive role in that and now Mike Prendergast is doing the same so it's brilliant for the competition and like you said um Everyone is going to be watching to see if we're going to get round two between uh, O'Gara and Urias. It was, it was mad stuff, really, wasn't it? And you're kind of just still enjoying that. And then he comes out and tells TV that he would love to, he'd love to coach uh, England. So um, yeah, I can't imagine Raj England Ireland weeks covering covering that would be something else. He, like once we're up against extra this weekend, I see Austin Healy is saying that Rob Baxter not the man for for England uh, in his in his Telegraph column. So, so who, Raj who, in the box seat. Well, like there's, uh, they do have a few candidates, and Andy Farrell is certainly going to be in, the, like in in the mix up as well. Like obviously, depending on how he gets on at the World Cup with Ireland, and particularly maybe you know if he was to get a, a win over New Zealand this summer, you know, be the first Irish coach to do it, would be incredible. So um, there'd be no shortage of suitors, but like for O'Gara to throw his hat in the ring like that was just so audacious and so classic him. Maybe might, might get another zero on his uh, La Rochelle contract, maybe. But um, yeah, I just got to love how he plays the game he's a master at it isn't he alright anything else we should be looking out for over the, the rest of those ties yeah I suppose like I mean like I mentioned Racing there like you have Mike Prendergast and I think there's a bit of Irish there's always a bit of Irish in Bristol as well they're going up against Sale uh, they've had a really tough season and I think the the fact that there's no relegation in the Premiership this season has taken obviously the jeopardy out of it even you see Ealing Trailfinders winning the Championship last week and they don't get promoted so I think ordinarily, if it had been the case, Bristol are kind of languishing near the end of the table, so they might have had one eye on, you know, ensuring their survival, whereas now they can actually have a crack at the Champions Cup. But for a team who've invested so heavily, like financially, you know, and have got in a bit of trouble for it, and given what was it, Pat Lamside signed like a five year contract. they've really fell short of expectations this season so there's plenty of Irish interest there with the likes of Nii Adiolok and Brian Byrne and John Muldoon so they're going up against Sale who have been rejuvenated I think under Alex Sanderson who's another guy who's been tipped as a potential replacement for Eddie Jones uh, so that'd be worth keeping an eye on as well so um, I suppose read, the round 16 it does throw up plenty of uh, good clashes and I think despite the fact I'm not a fan of the two legs I think it'll be interesting to see how it plays out all right, good stuff. Thanks for for that, Kian. Cheers, lads. Thanks for having me. Enjoy the rest of the, the Six Nations. We'll talk more about the Six Nations on our special Six Nations show later on this week. It's 8.42 this morning. Jerry Thorny and Liam Tolan were on Monday Night Rugby. They talked about Cleena Maloney's absence from the Six Nations. It's not just rugby reasons based on what we're seeing here. No, I agree. Neve Jones is like a, an excellent tackling machine for that team and she put a huge tackle count again at the weekend but um, she's got to be disappointed with you know the set piece, the, the darts and the scrum going so badly. You'd have to think Clean Maloney would make a huge difference and it's 
just doesn't quite stack up that this is supposedly for rugby reasons. And I've spoken to a few people who just evidently don't believe this is the case. Um, you'd have to think that would make a, a significant difference to the team. I, I agree with you. They could do with a little bit more experience. I thought that when Catherine Dane came on at scrum half, um, she was much. She was very good, um, very accurate in her distribution. I thought when Bavine Parsons came on as well, there was a better balance to the back three. Emer um, Constantine just doesn't seem to be playing with an awful lot of confidence at the moment. Although I agree with Liam on the couple of the decisions. I thought they got nothing from the officials the weekend. And the other one was Emer Constantine getting tackled in the air when she was a judge to have knocked on. And they, the TMO and the officials didn't even look at it again. And I think it led directly to another scrum, of course, and another um, French try. So, but yeah, I think I think it could do with a little bit of an injection of more experience in Clean Ohlone and Catherine Dane and Baby Parsons from the start. It'd be interesting to see where, where he goes with that, having named an unchanged side for the first two games. Yeah, that is interesting. And uh, speculation is only going to increase if uh, results don't improve so big game this weekend and as I said we'll talk more about that during the week it's 8.43 this morning if you want to get in touch we'd love to hear from you 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number or of course you can leave a comment on the YouTube stream as well John Duggan is here John good morning to you how are you? Ger and Owen how are we doing? Masters week everybody's happy Grand National this Saturday Man City Liverpool this Sunday if you're not a sports fan if, if you can't get up for this week you might as well just forget about it it's not a bad week this is this is one of my favourite weeks of the year it is just brilliant does the Grand National always happen at the Masters? Is it? Yeah, always yeah. the Masters week. Yeah, right. Okay. Uh, not the race it was, but still, still a still a good race. And the Masters, yeah, I, I just think every single year it seems to get bigger and bigger, lads. And I was actually watching all Masters uh, tournaments on YouTube. The the Masters people have put up the full broadcasts on YouTube. Of I watched nineteen ninety eight uh, Mark O'Meara. I watched Phil Mickelson two thousand four yesterday. This is just anorak stuff that I'm doing. But. I was going to say Mark O'Meara did not really get many of the YouTube subscribers um, boats floating but you were like yeah Mark O'Meara 98 that's that's right up my street yeah, this is I suppose that's kind of peak nerd peak John Duggan nerd well uh, peak, peak your kind of start of sports career right yeah it was the first year I uh, worked for uh, FM104 yeah so it was the first year and just to see the how perfect the course was then uh, but also the, I think the winning total was nine under par and now with the players and the technology that probably might be 15 or 16 Had they made the course easier? Uh, I, I think the course is harder now because It's uh, a bit longer A bit longer uh, like even they've lengthened the 11th and the 15th uh, this week Do they set it up for better scoring on a Sunday than they used to? I, that was one of the things I wondered uh, Sometimes it, uh, like I don't think they want a Dustin Johnson again They don't want a Zach Johnson which was 2007 1 over par They don't want a Dustin Johnson 20 under par which you had in November of 2020 Now the conditions are very soft that week But they're able to manipulate the course with the sub-air systems under the green So Thursday this week for example is not meant to be the best day weather-wise But the rest of the week is meant to be nice So I'd say by Saturday, Sunday it could become firm and fast Pin positions is something they can always uh, manipulate But they, I do think generally on Sunday they do want it to be exciting uh, They do want to allow opportunities for Eagles yeah. Okay. Fresh one, Sandy's coming tomorrow. Yeah, I can do whatever you want. So, like, I could, I could profile every single player in the field, but we'd probably be here till midday if I did that. So, right. Um, but yeah, looking forward to it. Um, being obviously reading a lot of the prognosticators, if that's the word, um, and just it's it's funny. There's a, there's, a, there's only 91 players. Uh, you can rule out the old timers like Sandy Lyle and Fred Couples and Ali. And Tiger Woods, uh, you can rule out the amateurs and you can rule out the rookies. I know Fuzzy Zeller won it, but rarely would you see a rookie like Will Zalatoris or Jason Day contend. 
So you're talking then around only over 60 golfers. Normally in the golf tournament, you might have 144, 156 golfers. Right. So it does... Uh, now, the elite players are all on it this week. They all want to win. Sometimes they turn up at tour events and they're tuning their games or whatever. Um, but I do think there is, if, if you're interested in the markets, you're interested in having a euro each way, there is value there and that the bookies see this as a losing week um, if they're offering 10 or 11 places because they want to entice people into the, into the fold and uh, have them as customers. All right. What else going on? Uh, well, do Arsenal have the Vieira steal? I suppose is the question this morning after the 3-0 defeat to Crystal Palace own. Um, Matata, Ayu and Zaha with the goals. And no. Ils n'ont pas. It's done, John. What is it? The third last game of the season. Uh, Thursday night, Arsenal against Spurs. Spurs will beat Arsenal that night. Hopefully, and hopefully we'll be... That's good. They've, whoever fixed the fixtures, they fixed it good. Yeah, we were waiting until yesterday to find out when because that's a critical game. But do you know what? Could Arsenal collapse and that game actually isn't critical? Would you what, be surprised? What's their fixture is like? Well, they got to play Manchester United and Chelsea before that. Mm, you know, Chelsea's got beaten 4-1 at the weekend by Brentford. Man, United are a shit show. Come on. Yeah, Manchester United and the shit show that they are did beat Arsenal earlier in the season and Chelsea destroyed Arsenal earlier in the season. Not the same team anymore. They're, they're not. Some, uh, some stuff happened. And Arsenal, if Arsenal got them a month ago, all well and good, there were a few... You grim hallmarks from last night, I would, I would venture. Yeah, like, I, I suppose they'll have to go to Villa this weekend and win and... Yeah. I suppose they do have a better run and they've got to go to Liverpool away but they do have like Burnley and Norwich in their last two games I'm, they've got Brighton at home Brighton have fallen off a cliff holy yes. moly it's all coming up Spurs isn't it well like, it would be amazing it would be amazing to hear that Champions League music again next season in that new stadium how amazing would that be and I think it's important for Kane to stay at the club and it's important for Conte to feel motivated and it's important for the checkbook to be um, there's no, there's less of an excuse for Daniel Levy and Joe as well we didn't get in the Champions League whereas actually we did get in the Champions League well here's a few more million um, because the signings of Kulisevsky and Bentancourt, to be fair, have been good. Manager of the year, if he gets him in the Champions League? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think Pep and uh, Jürgen might have something to say yeah, about that. Yeah, but who, I mean... Vieira would have something to say about like, that. Look, he's... Uh, quadruples he, and all that kind of thing. Needs a shout. Uh, so Liverpool tonight, uh, way to Benfica, going for the quadruple. Uh, Trent, Alexander-Arnold and Naby Keita available. First leg kicks off in Lisbon at 8 o'clock, as does the Man City Atletico Madrid game in Manchester once again City apart from Ruben Diaz got a clean bell of health I actually quite I think Pep is quite a prickly character but I did enjoy his um, just like WWF top rope stuff on the journalist yesterday because I do think the journalists can ask silly questions sometimes I have a bit of sympathy Pep has been in his own head in big games in the Champions League when you, when you look back it, like he needs, he's got no answer for that beyond the uh, oh, uh, every footballer is a different husband, uh, father and mother it's like yeah, I mean well done biology yes I mean, generally uh, that's how it happens Pep good man every time I hear Pep I hear Conor Moore's Pep it's more than you believe more than you believe uh, it, it, he, uh, yeah like last I can never get my head around if we were picking the team lads we would have picked Rodri in midfield in the Champions League final last, uh, last year like the most obvious thing to do and oh well I'm not going to have a holding midfield because I've got a complicated and yeah oh, you're, you're right like it's 20, 2011 wasn't it the last 2011, time yeah, yeah. they won the Champions League under Pep so uh, I thought Wayne Rooney was brilliant on Monday Night Football last night um, you know it just, just says a lot about the British press and the way they would have put Wayne Rooney in the caricature for so many years uh, honest intelligent eloquent uh, took down Ronaldo and Paul Pogba in about three minutes it was fantastic stuff and then we have uh, the Masters, uh, interesting video going doing the rounds of Tiger greeting Dermot Desmond and JP McManus uh, at the practice round yesterday. That means he's coming. Uh, it's, it's next year, isn't it? Or is it this year? I think, is it this year? Yeah, I, 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 
it's been postponed so many times and obviously 2022 yeah 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 this year uh, so the lads were there at uh, Augusta yesterday uh, Tiger's not teeing it up if he's not good feeling that he can compete um, he doesn't want to be a ceremonial golfer it's the champion's dinner tonight so it's uh, Hideki serving uh, whatever he what would you guys like to serve if you were Jared Roy or Owen Sheen the, the Masters winner from Ireland because Jared I know you're into your culinary oh you'd have to try something Irish wouldn't you yeah, you feel pressured not to not to do so. Well, I do. I do then it's crab and fish. It's like crab and, and like some some nice Irish fish. Yeah, yeah. That's been crab kept, kept in Georgia several for different a few ways. months. No, we've 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 flown it over in our private jet. We just won the Masters. What I'm are sorry, you talking yeah. about? Like Brooks Kepka flying his Japanese beef over to store in his cold room. Tiger Woods is down for the um, for the pro am. It's the fourth and fifth of July. Yeah, that'll be a, a good couple of days. And I'm sure there'll be a lot of other luminaries at it as well. A fantastic course. And it's the only other course, it's the only course in Ireland that's got the sub-air system that Augusta has. Right. Uh, which you'll see this week. It's a, it's a fantastic... In fairness, the list is pretty, uh, it is pretty good. Um, Dustin Johnson. For, for those of a certain age, Lee Jansen, uh, John Daly, David Duval, Ernie Dresden. Els. This is the Pro-Am. Yeah. Well, they should come a couple of days early and get in the All-Ireland Hurling semi-finals beforehand. It's the greatest weekend in Irish sport right before the Pro-Am. Get I'd Tiger say, to... I'd say JP could probably get some good tickets if Limerick are involved. I suspect so. They will be. That'll be a good week to actually get some interviews. Um, John Daly be hawking his merchandise, I think, uh, outside Augusta this week, which is always a great tradition of all the traditions <laughs> uh, at Augusta. Um, you know, my sister's actually going. She's flying out today with her wow. husband uh, from... They live in London, just outside London, so it's a once a lifetime trip for them they're going uh, to the practice day tomorrow and they're going on Friday as well practice day is the best day? Uh, well you, you can't have the phones or you can't have a camera during tournament rounds but you can during practice day? yeah and what you're saying the phone just brings the whole experience to life is that what you're saying? well you can get you can get pictures with like you and Tiger I think you can kind of pretty much walk anywhere as well right not quite between the ropes but you're free to stroll around as opposed to I can't believe you're not the first person in your family to go to the Masters Actually, that's the first. Yeah, that's the first time I thought of it in that. Oh, sibling rivalry. Yeah, yeah. No, no, she's very good to me. So, uh, I wish her well. <laughs> <laughs> what a shame! Uh, no, uh, <laughs> what a shame if the antigen goes positive. But uh, she she'd been actually tested negative. Right. She'd been tested positive all week until yesterday. Oh she, wow! Delay her flight. Perfect. So, uh, Caroline and Steve. So, so they actually they were they were threatened. They've been planning this trip. They'd planned this trip two years ago. Then they couldn't do it last year. So I'm delighted for them that they can go. Um, so I've just told them just bring me back a, a Masters Cup. The Toblerone. Uh, yeah, Masters branded Toblerone. So I hopefully uh, well look, well look, we, there's always next year, lads, and um, just have to win ten grand uh, before I can go. We'll pick we'll pick the winner tomorrow. Good stuff, John. Lads, else? Cheers. Uh, no, I don't. I, th- I think that's it. Um, yeah, virtual insanity tomorrow. Do all the homework today, and we'll hopefully uh, give. Uh, look, I think people are in, in, in enjoying trying to work out who's going to win it, and then uh, look forward to the grand national then later in the week. All right, John. Good stuff. It is eight fifty four this morning. OTBIM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. It's time for the crack police. Stay down! Police! Freeze! We're here to very quickly pay tribute to the most cunning minds in law enforcement. The people who have dedicated their lives to monitoring happiness and keeping our streets safe from disorderly celebration. Today, we bring you the story of some brave officers who have gone above and beyond the line of duty in 2022. Firstly, we have Chief Constable Roy Keane. Patrolling the Lansdowne Road beat on Tuesday last, Constable Keane identified two hoodlums that are well known to police in the area. Stephen Kenny, 50, from Talla, 
and Keith Andrews, 41, from Artane, were allegedly celebrating a goal in a football match when the constable eyeballed the pair. While on patrol in the area, Constable Keane also identified both suspects hugging one another. <laughs> Without having requisite time to call for reinforcements, Constable Keane bravely announced the celebrations were way over the top before tasering the pair with a, come on, get over it. The pair have been remanded in custody and await sentencing. Our second member of the police force to recognise at this time is Detective Ashley Young, who brought to a conclusion a career case recently. An absolutely outstanding piece of undercover police work from Detective Young culminated in 11 separate arrests on a single afternoon last month. All culprits were members of the notorious Arsenal gang and were arrested on suspicion of celebrating like they just won the league, with mob associate Bern Leno allegedly having committed celebration after completing a save. Such an offence is a capital crime in most jurisdictions, and Detective Young worked in close conjunction with Officer Ruben Neves, who blew the lid on this whole case, being the first policeman to uncover the dark underbelly of the mob's tendency to commit, celebrate like they've won the legery. To Roy Keane, to Ashley Young and to Ruben Neves, on behalf of our society, thank you. Remember, to protect is to serve. 8.55 this morning. Uh, do you know who also could be in this? Frank Lampard could be in this. I was just thinking there's a there's a nostalgia deep dive that we need to do. Remember just, Frank uh, Lampard on the touchline yes. to Jurgen Klopp? Oh, giving it the big one just because he won the league. It's like, well, he did win the league and he's one of the best managers in the world, Frank, so... There was another one, Oxford United manager at the weekend as well. But bit of celebration policing. We'll bring you uh, the details of that story maybe in a, in a future edition. Okay, in our follow-up. All right, uh, OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We're going to take a quick break. We're back after these. OTB... Uh, it's eight fifty-seven. <laughs> Are you not amused? Is that not is that not what we're supposed to do? Okay. Um, death taxes and Mayo losing says Dave. Shifty lad says Super Eights would be great with Owen hashtag power rankings. Good morning. Will our mass suspensions cost them versus Donegal? Asks Pat. We don't know. We don't know yet, do we? I mean, we don't know all of the full suspensions. Uh, oh yeah, do we not? Oh, because they didn't play. I think uh, is, is Rian O'Neill not in danger of being suspended according to one of the papers this morning um, uh, when did Mayo become so successful they can afford to ignore league finals asks Edwards like uh, you know they did win a league recently and then they didn't win the All-Ireland that year so will they? Will this team be judged by oh we won two national leagues or will they be judged by we lost multiple All-Ireland finals they're going to be judged by All-Ireland finals that's the currency they exist in so it's not like they ignored the league final they used it as preparation for the championship and um, I think that uh, I don't think we've seen most of the teams yet fully emerge from the chrysalis of the league. I understand that this year it's going to be very different because the league bounces straight into the championship and the gap is more telescoped. But I still think you can do a lot of work in the next two months to get ready for the All Ireland quarterfinals and semi-finals. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I think so, and I think it depends what province you're coming through as well. Like as I say, Mayo have to, the sticky situation of facing Galway so soon. But just having that safety net, like you'd, you'd back them to come through the back door. The only thing, it's just random. It's random. You could get, you could get thrown in the back door. You just don't know what's going to happen up there. So you do want to avoid it as much as possible. The Armagh thing is actually really uh, interesting. Like I will say, I haven't followed this overly closely. The, the aftermath of this Armagh Donegal thing, but it's interesting. Just even the wording on Nile McCoy's piece um, this morning, actually saying uh, Armagh have suffered a massive blow with Rian O'Neill handed a proposed one match ban. So there's a bit of murkiness around that to say at least about what's actually going to happen there. So maybe he'll be available. Like Aidan Nugent, Kieran Macken, and Stephen Campbell have already been hit with one match ban. So that that it really is a significant element ahead of their Donegal game. The provincial football finals take place the weekend of May 28th, 29th, right? 
So that's eight weeks away, really, from today. And then that means the quarterfinals won't be at least until the week after that and probably um, two weeks after that. Yeah. How much work can an elite team do toning and t- picking stuff up? Like, okay, Kerry can can absolutely periodise. I guess Mayo don't feel like they can because they've got to be ready for the Galway game. But the Dubs can prepare for a Leinster final relatively safe in the knowledge that are going to make it there yeah and like they have the muscle memory of being in an All-Ireland semi-final last year winning the All-Ireland the previous year like they, they know what it takes to get there the, the concern you'd have for teams is teams that haven't been in the business end of the season like Armand might actually be a good example where they've kind of like tailed off a little bit at the end of the league maybe they're the ones who really needed to be in a league final and contending for a league final because that was breaking a glass ceiling for them whereas with the other teams it's like you know we've been there we know what it takes to get there we have the talent and obviously have the, the, the physical capability of challenging any team in the country so those teams you'd expect the top four in the power rankings basically it, it'll be a surprise if, if any of those four don't win the All-Ireland if, if, if there was somebody else even though we said a few weeks ago that maybe 10 teams are dreaming of an All-Ireland and that's still true but it would be a surprise if anyone outside of that top four a big surprise if anyone outside I, of the top four I wins. think if Kerry weren't as dominant as they are if Kerry didn't have a collection of superstars if they didn't have pace in the team if they didn't have a defensive coach that like if, if Kerry were the same as last year and they were building slowly what, what they've done is like they've injected the process with um, a, a big difference I think I think they've, yeah. inter- they've interrupted the pattern of the last couple of years yeah and they've sped things forward um, and we've seen a, a quantum leap in terms of the responsibility and the quality and the ownership of the team from the younger players. It's now their team. It's nobody else's team. It's their team. And that's not even up for grabs. It was their team already, but they were too young really to hold the mantle. And now they're men and they understand exactly what they're supposed to do. And I think I think that that would prevent me from saying that I believe Monaghan and Armagh and Derry and those teams in that tier and Galway can win in All-Ireland. But if Galway didn't exist... I would think, sorry, if, if Kerry didn't exist at, in that tier on their own, I would say any of those teams could catch Tyrone on a day, they could catch yeah. Dublin on a day in Croker. Yeah. I don't think any of those teams could could beat Kerry in Croker. Maybe. Like, it's, it'll be interesting to see what sort of psychological holds uh, the doubles will have over teams in Leinster, for example, and teams beyond that this year. For example, as I say, if they come up against Monaghan in a quarter-final, it felt, and Monaghan weren't the only team who suffered this, it felt that there was just a bit of a mental block in the past to even contend with Dublin. They would just absolutely brush you away. Like, I think uh, they've had some very bad defeats against Tyrone, for example, over the last five years, Monaghan, but I still think they'd, they'd, they'd prefer to play Tyrone any day than, than at Dublin. Um, talking about football Bry says best for Ireland if Doherty is playing Champions League also if Conte had the squad Potch had its spurs he would have won something Potch bottled it things didn't end brilliantly for Pochettino at spurs and that would definitely give you pause for thought if you were Manchester United right like what what was it about Pochettino that Spurs decided they didn't want to back him with more money when he had a team that was capable of reaching the Champions League but remember the season they reached the Champions League they were terrible in the league like it was a bit of an outlier it was a bit of a fluke in the semi-finals against Ajax like is that the manager you're buying? the, ma- the manager who succumbs to Harry Kane asking to be played in the final if you're, lo- if you're, gra- if you're looking at straws grasping at straws to, to try and um, to try and downplay him I, I don't know I, I do think that are they straws? is it uh, character is fate? Yeah, I don't know. I think that Harry Kane, like I'm talking about myself, clutching at straws there. Like I think the Harry Kane thing, maybe like he's clearly your best player. You play him in a final. I think maybe that's a simple managerial decision, and maybe you could say he got it wrong in hindsight. Hard to know though. If he wasn't there, they probably would have still conceded that penalty. They probably still would have lost the game. Like I, I do think that there are enough positive signs from Pochettino's time at Tottenham to say the least. Like it, 
it was a bit of a transformation given the, the the squad that he had and and kind of their attitude to the game and the way they approached the game and I think that's probably what entices Manchester United fans to Pochettino quite a lot is that it was a real project that he got to grips with at, at Tottenham that he could do something similar with, with United um, felt like maybe Jose Mourinho in particular was very much a, a short term fix which fixed nothing at all uh, Patrick Vieira for the Manchester United job says Dave um, I wonder is, is he now officially out of the city system is that like you get in you get in if you get out, are you gone forever? Or can you get back in? You can probably get back in, I'd suspect. Uh, Ange, and a call made the point that Ange was part of the city system. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's what he's he's warming up for a season in the Champions League next year if they make it. And um, he, could, he could be in the mix for being Pep's successor. Uh, Kenny the Dad says Arsenal equaled perennial bottlers. Uh, is it possible that all four of these clubs just throw away fourth spot, asks Comerford, which would mean who getting it? You'd say West Ham? That. And then Bobby says, you said earlier on, everyone had Arsenal penciled in for top four. Not sure we all did. Spurs flying, Arsenal crumbling. Flights booked yesterday for the Derby. We have to be faves at this stage. I think you'd have to make uh, Spurs most likely at this stage. But that's going to change, right? There's going to be... This isn't just going to be straightforward. Antonio Conte hasn't just built a machine, has he? No, but they just look a hell of a lot more trustworthy than they did a few weeks ago. And that sort of win-loss, win-loss record, that pattern that they had, seems to have gone out the window at this point. Like, I mean, the 3-1 win against West Ham, the 2-0 win against Brighton, and then into the 5-1 against Newcastle. They won three games in the balance, which is a significant time to put together a run of form. Like, Villa in Villa is obviously, on paper, a, a tricky one, but you'd back them to win that, and then Brighton and Brentford. So I think that the fixture list just allows Tottenham to build up this head of steam before they finish off on some tough fixtures, because before they play Arsenal, they do have to go to Anfield. So for Spurs, that is... That's a fixture that you'd probably expect them to, to drop at least two points in. But other than that, you can see them winning the rest of their games. OTBIM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Uh, Pat Nevin was on the show last night and he talked about the scenes as the Celtic goalmouth was littered with broken glass during Sunday's Old Firm Derby. Uh, police Scotland are involved in the situation. So... It's pretty grim, obviously, and I don't know what your sense of it was watching. Was it a big delay, and, and was it obvious that somebody had been hit? Um, no, that wasn't. It was, but what was obvious was uh, the broken bottle that was thrown on. Um, and it was thrown on uh, just oh, at some point during halftime break. So when Joe Hart went into his goal, there was the smashed bottle pieces all over um, the front of his goal. And it's kind of weird, because... Your first thought is, and I'm sure a lot of people is, is, if you throw a bottle on to a grass pitch, it doesn't generally splinter. It doesn't. It just bump bounces. But this thing was like smashed, and you think, what? And there's this. I don't know, and I'm just wondering. See if you've actually smashed the bottle first and then thrown it on. That that's beyond. That's just off the scale, moronic to do something like that. I mean, it's moronic enough as it is, but that's off the scale to do that. What was upsetting was actually watching during the first half and it was happening all the time, not with bottles, but with lighters and coins and things like that we were throwing at the Celtic um, players all the way through it. Now, there were, I think, 700 Celtic fans in, which uh, hasn't been the case for quite some time. It's just like being Celtic Park, it's all Celtic, Dybrox, it's all Rangers. Um, And you just look at it and you think, honestly, can we never get away from this? Can we never get beyond it? And the acceptability, if it's one 
you say, right, okay, it's one idea. And we all go into that, and I fall into that trap as well. It's one idea. But we now see it just a wee bit too often. It's happening in English games, um, not quite to the same level. At that game, it was happening a hell of a lot. And remember, this is an early kickoff. It's not as if everybody should be tanked up before this game. You know, they've, if they've been drinking Buckfast all the way through that, and there was somebody showed a picture of lots of Buckfast bottles that had allegedly been collected after the game. And I say allegedly, I don't know. Um, and it's unthinkable that everybody be absolutely out of their heads by that point in time. There will be a few complete idiots. But the concept, if... So there's three possibilities with that bottle, that specific one that was specific, right in front of his where he'd be diving, right? And by the way, where the Rangers players would be sliding in trying to score a goal, right? The thought of a huge big bot- bottom of a bottle all jagged, you're kneeing it, that, you're legging it, a bit career ender if you're unlucky, career, absolute career ender. But if A, you just threw it on, it's bad enough. B, threw it on and maybe it smashed off the crossbar and then sprint your possibility of that, right? It's a little safe chance. But C, see if you've come in and then smashed this bottle up then thrown it on at halftime. Honestly, what what world do we live in? We just absolutely give up. But the concept that so many people, um, and I'm, I'm not saying it was hundreds, but there was enough people that when uh, there was one occasion when Jota went over to take a, a corner kick and it was just raining down. You know, just thought, ugh. Oh, is it, what, what century are we in here? Yeah. It was horrible, absolutely horrible to see. That's Pat Nevin talking about the uh, Old Firm Derby, which obviously Celtic won and have given themselves a massive, massive opportunity now to uh, coast home in the SPL this season. So, uh, fairly remarkable first season on the field from Ange Postacoglu. Never much of a Bucks House fan, I have to say. Never, never got into it. No. Wasn't for me. No, me neither. It's more, it's more of a more of a Galway thing, is it? <laughs> Definitely, thing? certainly any of the people that I knew had all come from that uh, <laughs> that college experience. I think on your induction day in NUIG, you get handed a bottle of Buckfast. I think just that's just like, welcome to, welcome to the West. Little one, this is breakfast. This is breakfast every day for the rest of your life, okay? I, I, I don't like it, but uh, each to their own. It's just not nice. No, no. Ha- people mix it with stuff. I think I'm, I should just don't I presume not I presume it's like just a handy way to if you're in a hurry it's a handy way to, to get up and running but uh, other than that I can't really see the point of it sweet wine with a bit more alcohol in it is that it? am I right in saying that? syrupy wine with a bit more alcohol in it? Uh, is, that, syrupy, is that the top line on Bookfest? syrupy which maybe we should have a, a tasting session some morning here yes we should we, myself and Adrian were saying that we should do wine and cheese session on Friday morning you're more than welcome to join <laughs> no thanks you know, I've, got a, sounds, I've got a radio show to do like Friday practice, evening no it doesn't sound terrible uh, but well, yeah okay okay. Some, some, someday we'll do it it's 10 minutes past 9 this morning OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day I'm delighted to say to inject some uh, sanity into proceedings. Graham Hunter is with us this morning. Graham, good morning. General guarantees. What what is taking you to be eclectic fellows onto an extended discussion of Buckfast? And, and by by the way, may I say when I arrived in Glasgow in the eighties, red for fighting, white for dancing. Just in case you wanted to know. Uh, so explain the red for fighting. Are there multiple types of Buckfast, or do you mix it with something? <laughs> 
you pop down a little bit of red buck fast and you're ready to fight. You pop down a little bit of white buck fast and you're ready to dance. It's, it's not complicated, Jack. It was there was an old firm connection. Pat Nevin was talking about uh, the alleged number of bottles of Buckfast which had been collected after the old firm, and we were like, "Well, I actually, never tried it." So um, you, you're off the hook. Well there you explained. Go. <laughs> That's <laughs> the Bucky reference. Okay. There you go. Um, is is Pep Guardiola as sensitive a soul as he comes across when? So I'm sure I'm sure in the press conference he was funny and engaging and. I'm I'm like I'm I'm the one of the greatest football managers of all time and you guys who are asking me these questions about my tactics in the Champions League over the last number of years well you're not I am you're not and it, I'm sure he was able to carry that off in print reading his comments today he seems a little bit touchy he seems a little bit which, which ones here? which comments particularly oh I'm going to play I'm going to play my, I'm going to play 12th man tomorrow I, my tactics are crazy haha I'm I, I, you know uh, I suppose that was a partial reference to Bayern Munich doing that against Freiburg wasn't it and I, <laughs> and I think that's why I wanted to hone into your uh, you, you know if we go microscopic on this you're talking about like yeah I overthink it that's why I've won so much that, that's that's the one isn't it yes first of all I think I think you know we have truisms or cliches in life that we use um, because they're true give a dog a bad name so if if somebody is is branding you or Owen incorrectly what you gonna do give them a big slobbering kiss accept it or come out with a bottle of bucky in your hand fighting it's going to be the latter, isn't it? Um, if if we're being honest, and I, I, you know, the tone of your show is always a little bit, you know, let's get beyond just the front you know, provocative nature of the question. Um, if Guardiola was constantly prone for overthinking things, then he, he wouldn't be where he is, he wouldn't be paid what he is, he wouldn't have won what he's won. I think there are a couple of occasions where he's been obstinate about First of all, the over-analysis, the super-analysis, is what made him. Um, he had a clear brain about how he wanted football to be played from the moment he was boss of the midfield in the Dream Team through um, going to Italy specifically. And he chose uh, Roma because he wanted to learn how to defend from Capello as his coach. And then from the days forward at Barca B, where he insisted, insisted that they spend money that the bosses at Barcelona B were arguing they didn't have on on the scouts for his team all being able to film opponents' matches full pitch, not you know follow the ball. That was technology which is relatively common in TV studios now, or relatively common. But in 2008, it wasn't. Go onwards. If you if you talk about the way in which his um, video analysts gave him package after package after package as the bus owner manager at one treble in his first season. He would analyse and analyse in a deep subterranean room in the camp now, no natural light, no windows, a couple of photos of his family, and he'd be there for hours going, how do I unpick? Now, across his career, that level of analysis has both led him to undo opponents and it's led him to invent new things in his own teams, not just City, that rivals find... Uh, hard to cope with. I, so the overthinking thing as a generic. When the first time I heard Tuchel talking about um, Pep Guardiola was in a conference, an Aspire conference in Berlin when I was there, interviewed Jan Cruyff, and, and Tuchel gave a, a in English um, um, not a masterclass, but a, a tutorial for about 
60 or 70 clubs that were gathered there from around the world together under the auspices of Aspire. And the, in the previous seven or 10 days, his Dortmund had played Bayern Munich. And he said, one of the worst things about it isn't the, the budget difference, isn't the quality difference. It's that you come up with an idea of how you want to play against Pets Bayern. You imagine how Pets Bayern will play against you and they might start off the same way. But he said, they'll change four times tactically within a match. And you're struggling to keep up and you're wasting valuable time when you should be paying attention to your own team. When you're working out, what has he done? How do I combat it? He said, it's hell. Now, one of the instances where I don't know if you want to argue that Pep is sensitive to the, you know, the the bulls thing of of this overthinking, then then fine. I I don't want to go out and bat for him. He's perfectly capable of doing it. So analytically, I think that some of the lazy uh, work in England that is that is based around that accusation can be attributed to the biggest defeat that Tuchel gave Guardiola, which is last season's Champions League, where the way in which he, he configured the midfield seemed to not be in tune with what City needed to do. Ultimately, they lost. But there's a world-class, I think, Rudiger tackle in the penalty box that prevents a goal. There's a brutal foul in De Bruyne that robs a blah, 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 blah. So you won't get me jumping in to go, poor old pet, leave him alone which I don't really think was your purpose. But I do think that the, the, the phrase, I mean, listen, heaven forbid I ever fulfill one of my little dreams about it. Like suddenly somebody tapped me on the shoulder and say, you take over Aberdeen or you take over, hey, Manchester City, fine. I'd be off the podium and into the press conference dealing out, you know, hooks <laughs> with the way that we as an industry sometimes treat players and coaches. So, I think he was quite restrained, Jar. How about that for the morning? Well, there you go. Um, is there is there a pattern that has prevented him from reaching the full potential of the teams over that period of time? Is that is there is there anything in like? It feels like there have been times when he's had the best team and they haven't won the competition, and that's football. And I totally understand that. It's just that it has happened after some of those decisions, like. And I, I get the point you're making about that that game. There are other games over the years where... The only other game that's a big stain that backs your argument is the one where he's um, played Real Madrid as Bayern Munich coach and they've lost narrowly 1-0 in the Bernabeu. And he admits and admitted very promptly after the thrashing they took at hands of Gareth Bale and Sergio Ramos in Bavaria that the players had come to him and said, we think we should play this way. This is how we want to play. And he acceded. That wasn't overthinking. It wasn't his decision. And he blamed himself, not the players. He blamed himself for exceeding. They were thrashed at home um, by Real Madrid. Didn't cope tactically in any way whatsoever. And I would say that's the only other time when you could say, uh, look, Pep, the reality of what you did on the night didn't correspond to the way the analysis should have told you to approach the tie based on your opponent's previous form and the last leg of the of the, of the tie. And I, I don't buy that his um, career is littered with instances where it looks like he's overdone things. And you, you, above all, whether you like his style, whether you like him or not, and what you said, your dark comment, 
is something that's echoed to me by people who have to interview him post-match all the time. They think that he is ultra-touchy, that he deliberately pretends not to understand, that he'll cough in the middle of a question. Or They think that it's a minefield talking to him, which is embarrassing for him because he's the only manager who, in the red mist of a post-match, sometimes loses his temper a little bit. It literally has never been heard of before. <laughs> Ever. No, fair enough. Not by Red, I, I, not, not I, by Ferguson. Klopp, Klopp, you, Klopp's I, a terrible leader. Here. Um, but this is, this is pre-match, I suppose. That's what that's what makes this interesting. Um, is he spooked at all by... by? I think he'd like better quality of questions, Joe. And is that too much to ask? I mean, you should know at this stage. He's been around the game long enough. That ain't going to happen. I, I go back to my point about give a dog a bad name. I am. You're asking somebody who, um, although I know him, I've met him socially, I've interviewed him many times, I've had the fortune to watch his teams and try and report well on them. But, you know, I'm not going to go out on the super defensive for him as a person, but I do tell you seriously, I watch our profession, I watch those circumstances, and I often wonder why managers don't completely lose their shit all the time. And, and call it journalists who they think are duds. And, you know, if you're working at an elite level, genuinely an elite level, I don't think anybody would argue that Guardiola has done things with the sport we love that has changed our vista, that has entertained us, that sometimes has left us in shock and awe. Maybe Wembley at 2011 is the, is the hyper example. If you're, if you're surrounded by nitwits all the time, you're going to call them out occasionally? You, you don't think that's fair? No, I do. I do. I think that um, calling out Nitwitz is great, and it was. It will make for a great copy as well. I. I just. It. Yeah. Do, it does feel like he. He's got a big itch that he needs to scratch with this Manchester City team, and and um, they need to win a Champions League for him to. For I would say for him to consider his period there, truly successful by his own. I think standards. that's right. I think that's right. And look, before the final last season, I interviewed him and he talked, and I believe it. And listen, no, I'll tell you first, the Gerstein with whom he, he played for a chunk of time in the Dream Team and, and won the Champions League at Wembley in 92. The Gerstein, who was his director of football at Barcelona and is, and has helped him hand in hand, construct the type of team he wants at City. I interviewed him during one of the last two seasons um, in the first knockout draw. Uh, this is Bukharistan. And I said, listen, that was quite a tough group. You came through, well done, it's an achievement. He said, he said stop right there. He said, thank you. Thank you that somebody acknowledged that irrespective of who we are, how we play, coming through the group, we consider an achievement. It's hard work. It's much harder than people. And I know that like when they went into went to Portugal this season, and was it Sporting, I think, they, they pumped in the first mm. leg. Am I right? Yeah. Um, came out and said, you know, the, the, the final score doesn't reflect the opponent or how difficult they are, etc. And then second, I kind of support his idea. People laugh at Chiqui Bagheristein or Pep Guardiola when they call certain ties, certain tasks difficult. People do not believe them because when they cut loose, they're awesome. They, they're capable of running up fives and sixes and sevens and eights. And they have been one of the great teams of the Premier era, one of them. So all I would say to you is that if Pep were answering your original question about the Champions League and the need to win it, I think that's true. I think anybody who denied it would deny the personality of Guardiola, which is excellent, which is win everything all the time. But I also buy into his, his argument that it, it isn't always the best team that wins. I do buy into his argument that, that minor... De- what did Pep have to do with Llorente handling the ball in the Spurs game? 
and that goal knocking them out. What, what, what responsibility did Pep have for that? Zero. What responsibility did Pep have for the, I think, De Bruyne free kick in Paris when they're knocking out PSG on the route to the final, where it's deflected and it goes in at a time where Paris Saint-Germain were really all over City? Nothing. His argument that this is a competition of tiny infinitesimal details on top of how well you build your squad, how well you pick your team, how much what form you're in, how injuries and suspensions affect you. There's really palpable evidence, including the ones I gave you about the final, where what influence does Pep have in that outstanding Rudiger tackle? I think on Foden in the penalty box when he's about to score. What influence does Pep Guardiola have on the way in which De Bruyne is concussed out of the game with a with a you know a squashed tomato face? None. These details genuinely do count. He's not telling a lie. But your your proposal is right. He, he lives to win. The Champions League is one of those trophies that he yearns for. Until he does that, he'll be undersatisfied. He'll only have done a 96% out of 100 job, which is, you know, I know you're not saying that's awful, but that's what I'm saying he's done so far. It's interesting that if you look at the manager in the opposite uh, technical area tonight, Graham, and uh, across these two legs, and uh, Simeone, who you would, or not you, who one might rush to say that uh, is tactically on the opposite end of the scale to Pep Guardiola, but the more you read about them, the more you listen to them speak about one another, especially from Pep Guardiola's side, it's just not adoration, but it's respect for one another, the, the, the sort of uh, love for resistance that Atletico Madrid have brought over the last couple of years. That's something in particular that, that Pep Guardiola deeply admires. I agree with you. Remember, they played against each other, um, <coughs> excuse me, and as such, um, learned respect then. Um, there's also no question whatsoever that Pep Guardiola has a massive respect for the, the, the whether it's innate or learned concepts of Argentinian football. He loves the competitor. He loves the person that's never beaten. Yeah, he loves the man with boots and a computer brain too. You know, I would deny that. But... Uh, you know, when Cholo Simeone last knocked Pep Guardiola, and I'm not predicting that Letty do that this time, when the Champions League was the semi-final of 2016, there were two extraordinary matches, genuinely extraordinary matches, where, again, tiny details, a missed penalty, uh, I think by Muller, uh, led to Bayern, only winning 2-1 at home when Griezmann scored. So Cholo, uh, Cholo Simeone has inflicted really, really painful um, defeat on Pep Guardiola, who at Bayern was, was um, you know, one goal away from a final in Milan against Real Madrid. How enticing would that have been, ultimately? It was a, it was a beautiful final, and Madrid won again. Jolo Simeone's ideas are the antithesis of Pep. You're right. It's not that Atleti are uncoached, but they're coached in a very... Um, monochrome way it is it is only about winning Joe Simeone doesn't care about how beautiful it is he doesn't care about whether they're sterile or whether they score five he doesn't care he only cares about winning now that's a link to Guardiola who, who really only cares about winning too people forget that he says it and people ignore it he thinks that attack is Guardiola is, attack is the best means of defence Joe Simeone thinks that defending is the best means of defence um, Pep Guardiola thinks that possession of the ball, domination of possession, gives you a far high percentage chance, chance of winning or not losing, irrespective of the nuances there of how you use the possession to win. Cholo Simeone renounces possession. He doesn't think it's all that important. They are antithesis in terms of um, how they believe they can get to the finishing tape. But both of them are obsessed by identical things. And... Jer's point on was about, without using the word obsessed, 
because Pat would probably hear it and across to Dublin. Um, Joe Simeone's more obsessed probably about winning this Champions League. He's haunted by it. He's a superstitious man. He talked about, I mean, if, if, if the final in Lisbon where you're winning 1-0 into the 91st minute and Sergio Ramos scores into half a postage stamp um, against Courtois, for heaven's sake, and then you come back and you play the same rival in Milan two years later, and there's an offside goal for Real Madrid, and it goes to penalties, and Juan from misses the only one, and the players that can barely walk for Real Madrid um, score their penalties nonetheless. And you talk afterwards about being haunted by hearing the, the Champions League anthem. Haunted. That's his word. This is a competition that totally, totally obsesses Cholo Simeone too. You're not predicting they're going to knock them out, though? Over the, you think City are going to do it over the two legs? I, I, I think logic tells you to, to favour the, the side with the, the more solutions, the deeper squad, the better form, uh, and, and that concede fewer goals. That makes sense. In, in my opinion, that, in my opinion, yeah. That then that comes to the argument: Would I discount Atleti? I'd almost say never, almost. And it's true that while um, I mean the big thing in this game is when Jimenez and Savage play together for Atleti, there's like a, a, an enormous, an inordinate leap in the number of games they draw or win. Jimenez is out tonight. That's verging on disastrous for Atleti. It doesn't guarantee defeat, but it strips massive percentage points away from the likelihood of them defending successfully. And I'll throw in a little, can you believe that tonight on the pitch, Oblak and Ederson will be reunited, having been competing goalkeepers at Rio Ave in the squad for Nuno Espirito Santo and Ian Cathro. Ederson was kept on the bench by Oblak. Benfica signed Oblak because he's the better one. And then he moves on to Atleti and to replace All Black, Benfica sign Edison, and here they are again tonight. It's extraordinary. All Black, they're the, they're the same age bar, six months, the same height, the same weight. And All Black at Rio Ave, in Portuguese football, in fact, was the fancy keeper. And for a long time, not with his feet, but on save percentage and, and lack of error percentage, All Black was the best goalkeeper in the world. This season, he's been flawed. And Ederson is on much better form than him. And, and therefore, that's although in recent weeks, Oblak has improved, he has not been hitting his own standards. Those little things against the City side, which possibly who they play as the false nine, Foden, Maris, Silva, I don't really know, probably Foden. They're going to they're gonna tempt Atleti's back four, back five. There'll be a three plus two wing backs, probably Rente going back to right wing back from attacking midfield, which strips another goal opportunity away from them. I think it'll be an interesting tie. I think it'll be much, much harder um, for Atleti, who narrowly squeaked by United, and therefore over the two legs. I, I'd be a liar if I said I didn't think that City have the capacity to do it. Um, is there a, a realistic possibility that Benfica can knock Liverpool out over two legs? I don't think so. If you look at the Champions League group, I watch them a lot. Um, they're competent. Um, they're, they're tail end Charlies in the, three, the traditional three horse race for the Portuguese title. And Darwin Nunez, they've got a striker that everybody wants that Spurs nearly signed. Um, David Pleat phoned me about him, asked me about him when he was playing second division football in Spain. Spurs were on the point of pressing the button. He looked as if he was slightly too green. And needed another couple of seasons. Those couple of seasons have made him a hot, hot property. Very interesting guy. Benfica are not mugs. But if Liverpool hit 
something around 85, 90% of normal form and intensity, then they can expect to go through an easy tie in Portugal. I wouldn't put it down as that, but yeah, over the two legs, Liverpool, yes. Graham, enjoy it. Thanks a million. Cheers. I will do. It's Graham Hunter giving us his thoughts this morning on uh, those two big games, Benfica and Liverpool and Manchester City against Atletico Madrid this evening. Yeah, it's going to be Atletico uh, versus City if you're picking one, isn't it? You're going to, ha- you're going to have to dual screen it though. It's at that stage. It is at that stage and I, I, like you would expect Liverpool to take care of business quickly. They, that's been their form in these big European games. It's like they actually win the away leg and then the home leg is a boring nail all or they score early or the other team scores but it doesn't really matter because they have a two goal cushion yeah it kind of suits them I think going on the road first doesn't it the team is a bit more adventurous that they're up against and leave a bit of space in behind the back and they get absolutely destroyed by that front line that Liverpool play Pep was definitely a bit touchy though yeah definitely and uh, I guess the, the argument is just whether or not he had any right to be touchy and I guess anybody can be touchy whenever they want to be touchy that's the modern world, though. Yeah, that is that is a modern world. Uh, we're not going to not going to decide when somebody can or cannot be uh, be touchy. We're not going to uh, police the touchiness. No, there's going to be no touchiness policing going on here. Nine thirty-two this morning. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We have obviously reaction to tomorrow's game to tonight's games on tomorrow's show we'll also be joined in the studio by Keith Wood we've got a full Masters preview with Nathan and John Duggan OTB AM with Gillette get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar